0: I'm one of the um, members of this village council. Culture. We well, um today is Friday, October 50, fifteen. Welcome to the public meeting. Um, I'm going to. From outset, I just wanna um mention that I'm going to ask. A man who's the hour Take today to voice for me for some of the items of the reading of the agenda. Um, please, um, go ahead,
1: Amanda. All right. Um, THIS MEETING IS BROADCAST TO THE PUBLIC ON SFGOV TV. It is OPEN CAPTIONED AND SIGN LANGUAGE INTERPRETED. THE MAYOR'S DISABILITY COUNCIL HOLDS NINE PUBLIC MEETINGS YEARLY. THEY ARE GENERALLY HELD ON THE THIRD FRIDAY OF THE MONTH. PLEASE CALL THE MAYOR'S OFFICE ON DISABILITY FOR FURTHER INFORMATION OR TO REQUEST ACCOMMODATIONS AT 415-554-6789 um, or by email at M-O-D at S-F-G-O-V Um, please, um,
0: please give a roll call. Okay.
1: So, um, the, First member, Alex Madrid. Um, Orchid Sasuni. I'm here. Denise Senhau. Okay. Tiffany Yu. Present. Helen Smolinski. Present. Jashawn Lewis-Wood here. Ananya tandon Verma, And that is all for the roll call.
2: Apologies, present. I think my internet is just disconnected.
0: Thank you. And item number two reading and approval of can you take the, can you the agenda. Okay. So for our agenda, we have
1: item number one as welcome and roll call. Item number two is an action item, which is reading and approval of the agenda. Item three is public comment. And at that time members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on this meeting agenda. Item number four is an information item, which is the co-chair report. Item five is another information item, about Muni 2022 bus service network options, which is a presentation by Steve Boland, from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Um, Item number six is a 15 minute break. And item number seven is an information item on Golden Gate Park Access and uh, Safety Program, JFK Drive, which is a presentation by Lucas Tobin from the San Francisco uh, Recreation and Parks Department and Maddie Revolo from the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency. Item eight is the information item, which is a report from the mayor's office on disability. Item nine is correspondence. Uh, And then item 10 is general public comments, followed by discussion item of council member comments and announcements. And uh, lastly, item 12 is
0: adjournment. Are there any council members' questions or concerns about the agenda? Please say yes, if you approve the agenda. Move to approve. Do we have a second? Second. second. Any opposed? Okay. Um, We are on item number three, public comment.
1: Okay. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There'll be an opportunity for public comment at the beginning and end of the meeting as well as after specific items on MDC agendas. Each each comment is limited to three minutes. If you want the council to respond to your comments following the meeting, please provide your contact information by email message to mod at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request. Um, To make a public comment while using the Zoom platform, uh, if you're using the Zoom app, um, you can click on the three horizontal dots and then click on the raise hand icon, and you will be recognized when it's your turn. You can also just click on the raise hand icon. Um, You you can additionally use the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you're joining by phone dial star nine when you want to be recognized and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to make a comments. We welcome suggestions about how to make MDC meetings more accessible, so please feel free to send an email to mod at sfgov.org. If you need assistance accessing the meeting, please call 415-919-9562 or send an email to mod at sfgov.org. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public uh, that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on this meeting agenda. With respect to agenda items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded when the item is reached in the meeting. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment.
0: Thank you for that. And do we have any public comment at this time?
1: Yes, we. I see a few people lined up, so um, I will allow them to speak.
3: all
4: right
1: Um, bob planthold you've been allowed to speak
4: thank you this is bob planthold i'm going to ask the council to look into and consider changing a practice or policy whereby complaints about muni get referred to muni it strikes me as ludicrous and illogical more than once I've sent a complaint about Muni denying access or causing access problems and <clears throat> which were not addressed by MTA staff. I've sent it to MOD and I get the response, we pass those over to Muni. You're asking the people who are accused of the problem of, if you will, <clears throat> adjudicating the complaint. They're self-absolving. They're not really neutral or or independent. How many people at Muni are going to say, yeah, we really screwed up? In my experience over the past few years, there's never been a single time when MTA staff, after getting a referral from MOD, A, said they screwed up, B, they often don't respond. I think the council ought to look at revising, revisiting that policy, because do you, when there's a complaint against DPW about, let's say, sidewalk problems when there's a complaint against SFO do you refer it over to them it seems like there's this somehow special status given to muni that again allows them to absolve themselves of any responsibility that's not appropriate for a disability council to cede jurisdiction over a complaint sent to you thank you i'm done
0: for Do we have another
1: one? Yes. Uh, Matt, you've been permitted to make
5: your comment. Thank you, Can you hear? Me? Yes. yes. Okay. My name is Matt Rowe, and I'm speaking on behalf of Voting Works, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization based in San Francisco, whose mission is to build voter confidence through simple, accessible, and transparent election technology. VotingWorks is the only nonprofit voting system vendor and the only open source voting system deployed in United States elections. We also develop and implement Arlo, our open source risk limiting audit software, which is used by nine states, including California, where Arlo is the only tool approved by the California state for counties to conduct post-election risk limiting audits and to confirm election outcomes. I am currently coordinating a pilot of our open source voting system in partnership with the election commission and Department of Elections for the November 22 election. During the pilot, we will be deploying and usability testing our accessible ballot marking devices for in-person voting, which are being developed to the latest voluntary voting system guidelines, also known as VVSG version 2.0 that established modern accessibility standards for voting systems. These standards are the first major improvement in accessibility standards since VVSG 1.0 in 2005, which is the standard that all voting system vendors, including the Dominion system used in San Francisco today are certified to. I'm commenting to express our interest in collaborating with the council on this pilot and understand the council's interest. This would give you an opportunity to use a ballot marking device whose accessibility features exceed those of the current Dominion equipment used in San Francisco. You would also be involved in the design and development of these features in advance of the pilot. Other voting system vendors, including Dominion, have publicly stated that they will not submit these accessibility improvements for federal certification until after the 2024 election cycle. San Francisco and the Mayor's Disability Council would have the opportunity to be at the forefront of voting accessibility and drive accessibility requirements forward for the entire industry if participating in this pilot. I thank you for your time and consideration, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts and hopefully collaborating on this effort to improve voting accessibility in San Francisco and nationwide.
0: Thank you for the comment. Next.
1: Zach, you've been allowed to make your
6: comment. Hi, my name is Zach Carnesies. I'm a disability advocate and journalist in San Francisco. My question is, how do you all sleep at night Like, seriously, how do you all live with yourselves? You've completely abandoned the disability community during this pandemic and have acted in the most selfish and egregious ways. I don't know where to start. I still cannot get information on the home vaccine program for booster shots. My emails are routinely ignored. Alex Madrid and Orchid Suzani told me to stop emailing them about vaccine matters and matters relating to these meetings, uh, which is appalling. Uh, For the first seven months of the pandemic, Uh, MOD, the Mayor's Office on Disability, completely abandoned us and stopped and stopped hosting these meetings virtually. We did not have a way to participate. Uh, We still don't have a way to participate visually. On May 22nd, I believe it was 2020, there was an emergency response COVID information meeting that was hosted by Nicole Bond with the Mayor's Office on Disability. The information from that meeting uh, is not available because the video was deleted. It was a recorded meeting. It was illegally deleted by the Mayor's Office on Disabilities, even though I requested during that meeting to have a copy of the recording, that's illegal. I then filed a public records request uh, earlier in, in 2020 for my own disability records because the Mayor's Office on Disability has not been following their own procedures outlined on their own website for how to handle disability complaints. You heard that just recently today about how Muni complaints have not been responded to. And I actually had to file a lawsuit against the city of San Francisco just to get on the bus Because the mayor's office on disability does not protect our right to public transportation and did not file a complaint like they should have. My public records requests were denied and ignored for almost a year. Think about that. Almost a year to access my own disability records. And I had to make a formal complaint with the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force. The Sunshine Ordinance Task Force on June 2nd found a a unanimous verdict that the mayor's office on disability had broken the law by not providing me my own public records. This is disgusting. This is deplorable. You have blood on your hands. People are dying during this pandemic because of your inaction, your refusal to address and make sure that people have access to this vaccine and the services that we need. Telling These little PR emails that you send out saying, oh yeah, go talk to your doctor as if we can always get a hold of our doctor without providing resources and information that we desperately need to protect our health and our safety. People are dying and people are suffering and you can do better. My name is Zach Carnazes, K-A-R-N-A-Z-E-S. You can reach me at zcarnazes at gmail.com. Please give my email to anyone that is interested in communicating and working on these matters.
0: Thank you for your comment. Next, I'm sorry to have any more public comment at this time.
1: I do not see any
0: other public commenters at this time. Thank you. We have, so we are moving into item number four, culture report, report I asked, like to read, the report, I want to acknowledge the two members that's been appointed, Irina and and Vichon, if you don't mind introducing yourself and tell us what issue pertaining on disability on at San Francisco. If you, and tell us what you want to consider for this committee, or this concert kind of study. Oh. Alex, who would you like to start? I'm glad, Ananya.
2: Excellent. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Ananya Tanden Verma. Um, I've worn multiple hats. I'm an industrial engineer by training, now a management consultant. Um, I've been the president of a national nonprofit, a team of 85 coast to coast. Um, I've since served uh, community organizations as an advisor and leader in spaces um, across intersections of disability, social services, social justice, education, um, and economic development. Um, I have been passionate about building communities that allow um, and enable marginalized voices and lives to flourish. Um, On a personal note, the world of disability came into especially sharp view for me um, as a young person, when I experienced it as a caregiver and then acquiring my own. Um, And when I entered into this world, I was told to expect uh, that life after would be a new normal. Um, And I was startled by the many people and structures that seemed to very readily accept that it would be a diminished normal. Um, And we're asking for more for me often felt very difficult and out of reach. Um, So with the Council, I hope to bring um, both my professional and personal experiences to serve um, to help challenge that narrative and the structures that hold it in place. And I think also to expand that conversation to be, um, to move from being by and for the disability community alone to just being part of commonplace dialogue on these experiences that are very human um, of what it takes to find and uphold dignity for oneself, um, to find acceptance for others and for ourselves, um, resilience, um, and ultimately finding belonging. I'm so grateful to be able to
0: serve. Thank you for being with a glance and um, this time um is to see uh, how you mind sharing your experience and what you wanna um, have with us or with us
7: um sure uh so my name is Shishon lewis Woods. um uh, right now, I am currently a PhD student at UC Berkeley um, um, in special education. Uh, before that, I was actually a special education teacher. Um, and so um, a lot of my advocacy has been in the education field, um, on making school fun and accessible for children. Um, and I hope to continue that. Um, with the MDC and just and looking at how just San Francisco can become a more fun and accessible city uh, for children with disabilities, as as well as us, um, a lot of my work is also with uh, children on the autism spectrum. Um, I'm on the autism spectrum myself, and so I noticed that like um, a lot of children in that space. Um, don't really get to work with um, adults who are like them. Um, and so that has been a very much a pleasure for me to do that and also to just uh, do research. Um, so I'm, what I'm hoping to just bring here is um, just um, ideas and perspective and also, um, and also to, to listen and learn far more than I speak, but uh, also to speak up for those who uh, may not have um, the access um, or are um, maybe too shy to. Um, and so um, that's um, that's what I'm bringing to the NDC, and I hope to learned so much while I'm here and also to give back. Um,
0: thank you. Thank you, Dr. we uh, welcome you and thank you for uh, your time and commitment to advocate for people with disability for San Francisco. Now, I would like to ask to re my all, points,
1: please. All right so um, for the co-chair report since the September meeting there are two items to report on involving the MDC and MDC business. The MDC sent the board of supervisors a letter in support of ex- extension of the accessible business entrance program. Um, additionally co-chair Orchid Sasuni attended a meeting with Supervisor Chan and MOD staff to learn more about Supervisor, Chan, Supervisor Chan's beach to bay proposal that would affect access to Golden Gate Park. And we also have um, a report from Alex Madrid from being in the San Francisco um, IHSS Public Authority. Um, the California, the state of California mandate was just released that will require all IHSS providers to be vaccinated in California, the public authority is working in partnership with the DOS, IHSS and SEIU on outreach and communication to make sure that the entire IHSS community knows these rules will be going into effect in November and encouraging IHSS providers to get vaccinated in order to still work. The state and county will not be tracking vaccination status. The California Department of Social Services, which oversees IHSS on the state level, is trying to devise a plan for requiring all counties to have an emergency backup system for care providers. San Francisco IHSS Public Authority has had an on-call care program for nearly 20 years and receives high praise from the IHSS social workers for the ability to send emergency care providers out when necessary. The public authority presented its on-call program to the California Department of Social Services, along with three other public authorities that have had some kind of backup system to give them more clarity of the level of staffing, funding, and administrative support programs require to be successful. Um, The public authority has been working on its expansion of video trainings and of IHSS Consumer Handbook, um, both of which are available on their website and have added a helpful training video on how to hire a home care provider and updated the IHSS consumer handbook, which is now available in English, Spanish, and Chinese. Uh, The public authority is collaborating with IHSS on a pilot project, which is the enhanced IHSS model in primitive supportive housing, which is aimed to integrate and enhance the IHSS model on housing stability and health health outcomes of permanent supportive housing tenants with medical and psychiatric conditions. And one of the goals is to increase access to IHSS and build a supportive system within each of the three buildings in this pilot where the public authorities, community engagement coordinator will provide training to building case managers on how to assist the residents um, to navigate the IHSS system and obtain support from the different public authority programs.
0: Thank you so much for that. Um, I hope you guys can hear me now. Um, Now we are moving along to item number five, which is information item, many 2022 bus service network options. We we have Steve, more than San Francisco, multiple transportation agencies. Um, Do we have Steve right now?
8: Yes. Hello. Can everyone hear me?
0: Yes, we can
8: hear you, Steve. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, May I share my screen, please?
0: Yes, one moment.
9: Okay. Steve, this is Nicole speaking. You should have uh, access now to share your screen. Let Thank know. you very much.
8: Can everyone see my presentation? You can. Thank you. Um, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Steve Boland. Uh, You know, as as has already been said, uh, I am a planner at Muni um, working on what we call the Winter 2022 Muni Service Network. And that is what I am here today to talk to you about. I'm joined by Mariana McGuire uh, from our communications team Um, who can speak to any issues uh, regarding our public outreach effort. Uh, I'm going to give you a brief presentation focusing uh, on our proposed changes to the Muni fixed route system uh, that would occur early in 2022. So we have developed three different alternatives for discussion with the public uh, of how we might expand service um, from our current level of service which is approximately 75% of what we were operating prior to the COVID pandemic to about 85%. Um, This is the level of service that we're able to provide right now uh, based on our available funding and the number of operators that we have available. We do have seven routes that previously ran all day that have not yet been restored um, since they were discontinued at the start of the COVID pandemic, uh, as well as portions of two other routes. Those routes, I will name them. They are the two, the three, the six, the 10, the 21, the 28R, and the 47. The two routes that we have mostly, but not yet fully restored are the 31 and the 43. We've developed three options, as I said, for how we might expand service uh, early next year. One of those options would fully restore all of those routes to their previous routes at the same frequency they ran in the middle of the day on weekdays. We've also developed two other options that would make some changes to those routes, in some cases would not restore segments of those routes or the entire route, and instead would use those resources to provide more frequent service on alternate or parallel routes. Um, And I will talk more about that in just a moment. Um, Getting back to my my slide here, uh, within those three alternatives, any time changes are made to one of those routes I mentioned, the resources are reallocated within the same area. It is a resource-constrained plan, as I mentioned. However, uh, we will be back talking to you, uh, hopefully quite soon, in two or three months, uh, about expanding service and the reason for that is as i said you know the current plan is based on our available funding but we are now uh, planning a, a ballot measure for sometime next year in which we would ask voters for additional revenues to expand our operation um, potentially to 110 percent of the service that we provided prior to the covid pandemic So that will be, um, we hope, a a, a fun conversation to have. This conversation today involves some trade-offs and choices and decisions, uh, and in some cases, some changes uh, to routes that people might not like, and we are here to get your feedback. So a brief background, uh, what Muni has been doing for the past 18 months or so during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, We have restored most of the service Uh, you know, as I think everyone knows, we initially cut uh, about three quarters of our service. Uh, We have now restored, as I said, about 75% of our service, but we've actually increased service in busy corridors that serve what we call equity neighborhoods, which are neighborhoods with large numbers of low income riders or riders of color, Uh, for example, Mission, Uh, We've created some new lines that did not exist prior to the pandemic, such as the 15 Bayview-Hunters Point Express, uh, and we've made some modifications to some existing lines. Um, Here you can see some examples. Um, The J Church is currently not operating in the Market Street subway. Um, We reconfigured the 23 Monterey uh, so that it was not operating on Slote Boulevard and instead going to West Portal Station. Uh, and a new Route 58 Lake Merced took its place. Uh, the Route 57 Park Merced was was altered so it did not go around the lake. That Route 58 operated on the west side of the lake instead. The 31 Balboa, uh, as I said, we have mostly restored. It's not currently running on Market Street all the way into the Financial District. Uh, it turns around at Powell Station. The 35 and 48 uh, were rerouted for short segments in Noe Valley. Uh, the 43 Masonic is not covering its, its full route. It is only going as far north as California Street uh, and not onto the Presidio and Fort Mason. And the 52 and 66 uh, have been extended to take the place of segments of the six eight Parnassus uh, on the west side. So this is what our current fixed route service looks like. Uh, I mentioned that you know we are uh, expanding service based on operator availability. Uh, in addition to pursuing additional long-term operating funding, we have also been working very hard um, to hire and train and retain more operators, which would allow us to expand that service. So here uh, you can see a little bit about those three alternatives that I mentioned before. You can also see, if you can see the map, you can see in orange those seven routes and parts of two other routes uh, that were all-day muni routes before COVID that haven't yet been restored. Um, In the familiar scenario, as we call it, those routes, again, would be restored. Uh, They would operate about as frequently in the middle of the day, Monday through Friday, as they did before the pandemic. We have another scenario called the frequent scenario, which is very different. It would actually not restore five of those seven routes, uh, namely the two, the three, the six, the 21, and the 47. And it would take those resources and put them into parallel routes such as the five Fulton, uh, where we have historically uh, experienced overcrowding uh, and there is a need for more frequent service. We have a third scenario uh, called the hybrid As its name suggests, it is sort of midway between those two. It would not restore two routes, uh, namely the three and the 47, uh, and it would not restore segments of some other routes. There is a lot of information in these proposals, and we are not going to cover everything, every detail today, simply because we don't have time, but I would encourage everyone to visit our website. Uh, which has very, very detailed information and is fully accessible. That is at sfmda.com 2022 network. There are some things in common across those scenarios that I want to highlight. Um, they would cost roughly the same. Um, they would continue to provide uh, muni fixed route service within a quarter mile of 98% of the population of San Francisco. Uh, the 28R, the rapid service on 19th Avenue would be restored, and the 43 Masonic would be restored at least to the Presidio. Uh, The 10 Townsend would also be restored uh, between San Francisco General Hospital and the Financial District. And if it did not continue into Chinatown, Route 12 would be made more frequent, so service in that corridor was not reduced. I have some maps here, um, which I won't dwell on because I've explained in general the alternatives. Uh, And again, there are more details on the website. Um, But if if you can see this map, this is a map of the frequent alternative that shows where service would be not restored and where service would be improved. The gold on this map is service that is not restored. The pink is where service would uh, get more frequent on existing routes. And here is a similar map for the hybrid alternative. So why are we going through this process? Why are we not simply uh, restoring the routes uh, the way they were before the COVID pandemic? One reason is that we've seen a dramatic change in travel patterns. Um, We no longer have uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands uh, of commuters to downtown office buildings uh, every morning and every evening. Uh, Our system has historically been built around serving uh, those commute trips during peak hours or rush hours. Uh, that's why you see so many muty routes that kind of radiate out from downtown. Um, what we have seen during the pandemic is that our crosstown routes that connect neighborhoods have remained very strong, uh, particularly our busiest corridors have continued to be very busy uh, even during COVID. So for example, Mission buses are still very, very busy, Geary buses are still very, very busy, and so on. Um, All those long routes that kind of connect neighborhoods across the city. So while we're not operating our peak only services, uh, our express routes that used to go downtown, or additional service on routes during those peak periods, we are operating again relatively frequent service in our busy crosstown corridors. Um, That is one reason why we wanted to have this conversation with the public about how our service might change early next year. The other reason is we know from rider surveys in the past that riders value uh, many things, but two of the things that they care about in particular are access to destinations. And by that, we just mean the range of places that you can get to within a reasonable amount of time using Muni. And related to that, they also value frequency They don't like long waits at bus stops. And of course, when service is less frequent, then buses get more crowded. So in that frequent alternative I mentioned, uh, there would be a much larger number of people who would be within a quarter mile uh, of a stop where service was provided every five minutes or more often. It would increase from 33% of San Franciscans under the familiar alternative to 42% under the frequent alternative. This would also allow us to expand what we call our five-minute network. This is a term we've just recently started to use. Um, we do um, have... Yes?
0: Ryan, if you don't mind describing the image, because some some of the public might not or cannot see Image
8: that you're providing. Mm-hmm. Understood. If you I will, don't mind describing it. Thank you. Under understood. I will I will do my best to describe it. Um, what you see here on screen, if you can see it, is is a map um, showing routes that operate every five minutes or more often throughout the day on, on weekdays, or corridors where two or more routes combine to do that, such as Geary with the 38 and the 38R. Right now, and uh, under the familiar alternative, uh, those routes mostly go in and out of downtown, and there are a few of them. Under the frequent alternative, there would be more corridors where that five-minute service would be offered, including some crosstown corridors that don't go downtown, such as the 22 Fillmore. And this image, one last image about the five-minute map, is what we hope to be able to provide in the near future Uh, This current effort would put a down payment on it. This map shows a grid of frequent corridors, um, very dense and extending all throughout the city. Um, Not only would service be every five minutes in those corridors, but if you had to transfer, your wait time for that transfer should be relatively short. We would also focus on these corridors in investing in what we call transit priority improvements that help to make our buses and trains more reliable. So I'm going to skip through these next few maps. We did some analysis that shows under the frequent alternative, uh, the range of destinations such as jobs or hospitals uh, that users in a large part of the city could reach within 30 minutes, including both the walk or roll time to the stop, as well as the wait time for the bus and the travel time on the bus. The range of destinations that would be Available within that 30 minute travel time would expand. And we just have several maps that show this for different kinds of destinations for both the frequent and the hybrid concept. The hybrid concept, there would be some improvements, but also uh, some decreases in the range in certain areas of the city. I will stop right there. We do have slides showing proposals in individual neighborhoods, um, and I'm happy to answer questions about specifics, but again, Um, All of this information is on our website, uh, which is at sfmta.com slash 2022 network. Um, But I'm happy to answer any questions that anyone might have. And I will stop sharing my screen.
0: Thank you so much, I would like to ask um, the council members, if you can raise your hand or Put it on the chat, if you have any questions, I can see you and call on me. I see Helen, Uh, Helen, please go ahead with your question. Okay.
10: Thanks, Alex, and thanks for the presentation. I I hadn't realized that three quarters of of Muni's services had stopped um, because of the pandemic. And it's impressive that um, you're back up to about 75% of what you were before. So so thank you for that. And thank you, Muni, Muni, for the good work. I'm curious, is the public going to be deciding this? Or are you just gathering input on the three options right now?
8: Great question, um, and you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk a little bit about our outreach process. I apologize, there had previously been some slides in this presentation uh, that talked about all of the, the different kinds of outreach we've been doing, uh, including many meetings like this, about three dozen to date with different stakeholder groups, uh, as well as uh, hanging posters all over the city at about 600 locations. Uh, we have a survey on our website which has received over 5,000 responses uh, and, of course, we've been presenting to our board, the board of supervisors, uh, and so we, we, we've we had a, a fairly extensive outreach process in a relatively short amount of time. To your question, um, when I, I, I think I mentioned a couple of times in my presentation that we wanted to have a public conversation or a public discussion, and those words were actually carefully chosen. Uh, we don't have um, necessarily, coming into this process, we didn't have... A strong bias um, you know, among these alternatives. We wanna hear from the public what's more important uh, in terms of those trade-offs and choices and, and priorities that I talked about. We created three alternatives that were very different in order to hopefully foster a conversation about those trade-offs, because there are some clear choices, particularly around the issue of having a stop closer to you in certain cases where service may be less frequent versus a stop a few blocks further away where service would be more frequent. And so to directly answer your question, uh, we are absolutely taking all the feedback we've heard into account in our decision-making process. And in fact, we have an open house tomorrow at noon, and there's call-in information available on our website. Um, At that open house, we'll be reviewing Uh, some of the major themes from the feedback that we've heard to date that we're currently using to shape a final proposal um, that we hope to provide details of within the next couple of weeks. Um, We also had a slide that I inadvertently left out of the presentation which talked about our timeline. All of this will eventually go to our board of directors on December 7th. And so there's still about six weeks to get feedback both on these initial proposals as well as the final proposal, before our board takes a vote, you know, there's also going to be a couple of hearings before board of supervisors committees, the first weekend in November. So there are going to be many, many opportunities remaining uh, for members of the public to provide feedback and help give us direction. Do you
0: have any questions, No, thank you help blood
11: I'm waiting for the interpreter. Okay, thank you so much, Steve, for your presentation. I am a frequent user of Muni. Um. At the same time, I know there are some areas in San Francisco from my home, I, there is no public transportation available. It's much, much too far for me um, to use Muni. I live in the Richmond district and riding the bus number 38. It takes about 45 minutes from my home to some locations because of the frequent stops that's one thing that i never really that's one reason i don't appreciate using uni and it is very very crowded um so i i hope that in, this is from the richmond district downtown i think it's one of the busiest routes i hope that that route can be improved also getting to the mission area uh Bus number 14 and 49 is a frequent bus. Um, And that one's great because there's less traffic. But the problem on that route is to get to the other side of San Francisco. This forces me to drive. If I want to go to Golden Golden Gate Park, for example, and they want to, uh, if you want to change that route, how do you get through from Richmond all the way to Golden Gate Park. Or outer Richmond. It's very, very hard. That's where I live. That's It makes uh, driving very, very difficult because we can't drive through the park. There's no public uh, schools in that area. So all of us are forced to use Muni. Um, and there's just no way for my son to independently take a bus to his school. There's no way because of all the time. I hope that San Francisco Muni can uh, will better plan for Route 38. Um, I know it's not easy. Uh, there's there aren't enough drivers. You have to train them. There are many, many challenges. I recognize that. Some routes like the J line has changed tremendously um, and there are not many people riding it. It's empty. So instead of using Bus 24, which is faster, uh, J line that's not utilized. If, if I want to, um, oh, there are a lot of buses, 24 are so crowded that uh, they drive past me because they don't have room. So another challenge is the schedule. I used to rely on Next Bus, that app, it would tell me when the bus was coming. And oh, it would tell me the bus is coming, but then the bus would not show up. So I'm wondering if we if that app can be improved because you know we're relying on the bus for an appointment. Often we, we rely, we arrive late. So we try to make the plan a day before uh, based on the schedule, but sometimes the schedule is not even available for the next day. So many of us who live in the city don't drive at all those of us with disabilities don't have that option and so we rely on public transportation and the scheduling uh, unpredictability and unreliability is one area I really hope is improved. So that's my feedback. I thank you. I thank Muni for all of the hard work uh, trying to improve the system.
8: Thank you for that. I do appreciate it. I'll just address uh, a couple of points. Um, one is about next NextMuni. Uh, we are actually in the process of upgrading that system. It is quite old now. We actually had one of the very first systems of providing predicted arrival time information or wait time until the next bus anywhere in the world. Um, but while we were an innovator in that area, uh, that was quite some time ago and we haven't yet moved on to version two of that system. We are currently in the process of doing so. Um, The second point was about uh, long trips across the city. Uh, We understand that and that five minute network map that I showed and that I I talked about to everyone, those would also be corridors with what we call our rapid lines. So there is a 38R Geary Rapid that is much faster But that is in part because it makes fewer stops. And so it's a longer distance uh, for some to those stops. We try to put those stops at the busiest locations, but it does skip a large number of stops. If you have uh, access to that route, it is quite a bit faster and has proven very popular, just like the 14R and the 5R and the 28R and the 9R. We currently have five rapid routes. Part of what we would like to do if we get additional revenue for operation is introduce new rapid routes. So for example, another project I'm working on that may be relevant to you in the Richmond uh, would be for a 29R rapid route um, on 25th Avenue in the Richmond on Sunset Boulevard in the Sunset and then it continues uh, across the south part of the city all the way to Bayview-Hunters Point. It's our longest route. Uh, It takes about an hour from end to end, and we would like to provide a rapid option in that corridor, as well as some others, like, for example, Fillmore and 16th Street, where the 22 currently runs. So, again, we are hoping to expand service in ways that uh, will respond to customer needs that we've heard about over time. Um, that we know or or already know are priorities for San Franciscans and that we hope will be uh, very popular uh, when we unveil those proposals.
0: Thank you, Alfred. Next we have Anani. Hi
2: there. Um, Thanks so much for the presentation. I just had two questions. Um, The first being, I, I understand that there is a decision that is forthcoming here what is the timeline um, or how often will the service model be revisited is one. Um, And the second question I had was, um, of course, SFMTA also provides paratransit services. Um, So I wanted to understand in the areas where um, routes will be scaled back, is there um, some sort of kind of alignment um, with paratransit or a partnership, some collaboration to think through also the service provision model um, to continue serving those areas or you know, push or pull resources
12: where needed.
8: Thank you. Um, those are also great questions. Uh, I'll answer the first question first. Um, the changes we are currently discussing that would take effect in February or possibly early March would remain in effect only through the spring. Um, we are returning to our... During COVID, we made service changes frequently um, as we were trying to incrementally restore service Uh, as soon as we could based on available resources. We are now sort of exiting out of the COVID pandemic, the COVID era, and we are returning to our regular cycle of three service changes per year that are timed around the school year. So you typically get one at the start of the the spring uh, school year and at the start of the fall school year, as well as the start of the summer. So the next change after this upcoming one that we're discussing would be at the end of the spring, sort of the start of the summer. Um, If we had additional resources available at that time, we could expand service then. Um, We don't yet know exactly what that will look like. Um, To your second question regarding paratransit, Um, I don't work in that group, but my understanding of ADA is that paratransit service must be provided within, I believe it's one half mile uh, of fixed route service, and someone please correct me if, if I'm wrong, as I'm sure there are people in this call who who know that regulation. Um, I don't believe that anything we are proposing would impact the coverage area for paratransit service, but I cannot absolutely confirm that at this time.
2: Thank you for that. I guess my question just is more around: it. one would expect that demand may change um, if there are folks that otherwise rely on Muni, but now the stop is too far. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there may be an impact there. So just, just a consideration that
8: I would pose. That's that's an excellent point. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Next real Tiffany, good. Your question.
13: Hi, this is Tiffany, I just wanted to make two comments. Um, First, thank you for your presentation. Uh, Always like to have a good relationship with MTA since I know many of our community members rely on public transit. Um, So I live in the downtown area, which means I have access to the Salesforce Transit Center and I just love Muni. So I am very excited about many of the Uh, LINES BEING RESTORED AND THE FREQUENCY BEING RESTORED AS WELL. Um, AND THEN I ALSO WANTED TO SHARE MAYBE FOR SOME OF OUR uh, ATTENDEES WHO WEREN'T AWARE, I THINK THAT THE FREE MUNI FOR PEOPLE WITH DISABILITIES IS A REALLY GREAT PROGRAM um, THAT I ACTUALLY ONLY LEARNED ABOUT A COUPLE OF, AFTER A COUPLE OF YEARS OF LIVING IN SAN FRANCISCO. SO JUST WANTED TO SAY THAT I THINK THAT IS A GREAT PROGRAM FOR OUR DISABLED SAN Franciscans. Um, and that I appreciate you being here. So I don't have any questions.
0: Thank you Tiffany. Before I open up to the staff for questions, uh, well, my question to you is that can you make sure and um, that if you know this, all of the road is accessible help people with disability and and drivers or operators are trained to assist um, people with disability if they need to.
8: Yes, that's a very important part of our operator training. Um, and you know, if if anyone uh, experiences issues with that, we would absolutely encourage you to please report those. Um, I believe you can do so using the city's three one one system.
0: Thank you, and now I'm opening up to the M O D stuff for any questions.
9: This is Nicole speaking, the director of Mayor's Office of Disability. Thank you, Steve, for being here today. Um, I had uh, just a, a couple of um, questions. So, so how if, is it possible for you to summarize some of the points that you've heard or some of the feedback that you've heard from the disability and older adult community so far? Um, whatever you could share about that, I think would be really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. for the council to hear. Uh, And then uh, my second question is, uh, what is the best way if after this meeting, the council has additional feedback uh, on the proposals, what is the best way to provide that to you?
8: Uh, Thank you, Nicole, and it's good to see you. Um, I'll start with your second question, which is that um, unfortunately we had another slide um, that didn't make it in that provided... Um, all of the different ways that uh, members of the public can provide feedback. One of those is our email address, which is tellmuni at sfmta.com. There's also a phone number that I believe Mariana is still in this call. Um, She might be able to provide for for those who don't use email. Um, I I will speak briefly to um, your first question, and then Mariana may wanna add some information. You know, we will be talking at our open house tomorrow, as I said, about some of the feedback we've gotten, you know, specific to the disability community. Um, We had an unusually large number of respondents to our survey um, who identified um, as persons with disabilities. Um, It was both larger than um, the proportion of Muni riders who identify uh, as such based on our most recent rider survey as well as larger than the share of the overall population of San Francisco. So there was certainly great interest um, in terms of filling out the survey. You know, I believe that we found, uh, you know, we asked questions in the survey around that key trade-off that I mentioned earlier between distance to stops and frequency of service. And we found strong interest in frequency overall, but that was much reduced among both persons with disabilities as well as seniors. Um, we saw, uh, as you might imagine, a greater interest uh, in all you know populations with mobility challenges around having a stop closer by. So I think that was probably the number one finding um, that emerged for us. Um, Mariana, did you want to add anything to that?
12: Sure, yes, thank you. Sorry, I was trying to get off mute there. Um and if it's possible, I can try to share my screen also uh to show the slide um, with uh feed uh, how to provide feedback, information on how to provide feedback. So I'm gonna try to do that right now. And then I will
0: continue. Um it was a minute to give you access. I okay, gotta go ahead. I think you have access now. To yeah. share screen. It looks like I can share. Okay, so you should be seeing
12: it now. Um but we don't see it. Do you, you do not see it? No, we don't. Oh, okay. It says I'm sharing my screen. No we can still nothing, huh? We can, no. we can no. Okay, good, good. maybe there's a, a little bit of a delay. Um, so it's it's uh it's not in slideshow mode, but this is the this is the main slide for um how to provide additional feedback. Uh the tellmuni at sfmta.com email. As Steve mentioned, you can you can email comments and questions there anytime and we have staff checking it regularly, daily. Um, And we are working to respond as quickly as we can, but even if you don't hear directly from us right away to your email, we are looking at the, the feedback and we are incorporating it and sharing it with our planners. Daily, so they they will be aware of what you are sharing with us. And then we will get back to you and respond as quickly as we can. And then the other option is to call our 2022 network hotline, and you can speak to staff um, or leave a brief message on our voicemail. And that number is 415 646. And again, we have staff working to answer that hotline throughout the day, Um, but our staff are multitasking. So if you don't get a a response from staff, um, there is or there should be a voicemail where you can leave a message. Um, We've been testing it to make sure it still works. Hopefully, there's no problems with it. Um, And we do check the voicemail. And then, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And then we do have um, three additional uh, public meetings that we're going to be hosting. A virtual open house on October 16th tomorrow at noon, a virtual open house on October 20th at 6 p.m., And office hours, virtual office hours on October 21st at the slide should say 6 p.m. The number six is missing right now. Um, Information to participate because these are virtual meetings. You can go online and find our information um, on the project website sfmta.com backslash 2022 network. And you can Uh, There's links that you can click to join directly um, via Zoom for our virtual open houses and via Teams for the office hours. There's also phone numbers that you can dial into these meetings. If if you don't have the ability to um, join by video or join virtually, Um, you can use the the, the call-in options. And in fact, for our virtual open houses, in order to provide comment, because of the Zoom system, in order to provide comment, we are using a phone bridge. So you will have to call in to the phone bridge phone number, um, regardless to uh, to be put in the queue for comments and questions.
0: Um, Marina, or um, or if if you don't mind putting that link to the chat, that would yeah. be great. Yes, I'd be happy to, I'll put, I'll put um, a,
9: a summary of this information in the chat so you all have that. Thank you. That would be great and then if you could also, this is Nicole speaking once more, if you could also include this slide in the slide deck that, um, that Steve um, presented so that when we post this information for the public, that piece is available as well. Yes, and I apologize. I don't
12: know what happened to these slides. Um, they were in the original slide deck. Uh, so I will make sure to rectify that and send it over corrected uh, right away, right now.
9: Thank you. We very much appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Thanks.
8: Disability.
9: Um Are there any uh, stuff we
0: would like to ask? question at this time. Hearing none, can you please open the put a public comment on this under the item?
1: Yes. Uh, so I do see that we have at least two people interested in making public comment. As a reminder, If you are making, if you are using the Zoom platform and want to make public comment, you can click on the raise hand icon to be recognized and you'll be prompted when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature um, to indicate that you want to be recognized for public comment or to share your comment to be read by the clerk. Uh, Additionally, if you're calling into the meeting, you can dial star nine to be recognized um, and you'll be prompted when it's your turn to make public comment. Uh, the first commenter, um, Bob, you have been permitted and to, un- to unmute. Word, Bob. I think there's just a moment where, uh, he may need to reconnect to the meeting.
9: do you want to go forward in the queue and then we'll come back to um, yeah definitely the previous commenter thank you
1: oh well he's on he's on now
4: nothing happened for a long time except recycling this is bob planthold i want to point out that some of what you have said uh, about the changes munich considers omits key information and offers illogical alternatives. Like, for example, when you hear, well, there's a possibility of adding extra service to lines that are nearby. That's irrelevant and non-functional for people with disabilities regarding the 21 line, which serves St. Mary's Hospital, or the 6 line. The western part's restored, but not the eastern half, and the 6 line serves the UC Parnassus campus. So to say, well, you're going to add more service on the five doesn't help us get to the 21 lines, St. Mary's Hospital. And there is a requirement that key destinations such as a hospital need to be called out. So omitting the real importance to people with disabilities of uh, service on the six and the 21 for the Eastern part of the city is critical. Beyond that, you also heard about the J line. Well, before the covid There was no pressure, no request from any transit riders group to stop the J from going into the tunnel. Secondly, you hear, well, there's too many different lines that the system can't take it. What's ignored is there was a prior practice where the J and the N would hook up together to go into the tunnel. And then coming out of the tunnel, they would separate at Van Ness. That practice could be restored. I asked that question for over one year, over 12 months. Why can't that be done? Total silence from MTA, from Julie Kirschbaum, from Tomlin, from the MTA Board of Directors, up and down the line. Nobody will respond to that option. There's no good benefit to having people with disabilities get off where Jeff Tomlin wanted it ended, and then suddenly have to cross all of Market Street and hope the elevator into the church works. This is just impractical for people with disabilities and there was no prior request for it. Finally, since I'm a member of the Paratransit Council, I would just say the requirement is service within a three-quarter mile distance so that it's not half a mile. Uh, I just want to clarify for those who are listening or anybody else who may not know about paratransit, that three quarters of a mile covers a wide swath of San Francisco and would overlap many lines. But again, not restoring the six and the 21 to serve St. Mary's and to serve UC Parnassus makes it harder for us people with disabilities to get to and from those centers, either for our own health care or to visit a friend, family member, neighbor who might be in that hospital. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comment. Do we have any public At this
1: time, yes. Uh, Helen, you've been permitted to unmute.
14: Yeah, hi. I I appreciate the presentation. I uh, was happy that there was an inclusive perspective and some notation of what uh, the diverse community of persons with disabilities need. That has um, gave me a little bit of relief. But on a personal perspective here, um, just like one of your members, um, I am an individual with a disability who takes care of my folks who live out in the Sunset District. I do not drive. I'm low vision and have multiple sclerosis. And I rely solely on public transportation to get where I'm going. Um, Between meetings, appointments, and working, and then uh assisting my parents um from the sunset district to downtown areas and other places it's it's sort of like a huge gap. Um it takes over 4850 to an hour to get downtown. Um I appreciate that the El Teravel they're now you know been working on ramps, but since the buses are running um It's problematic. There's no places for me to rest um, while I'm waiting for a bus. Um, So I just wanted to point out that also there isn't alternative transportation. Most of Lyfts, Ubers, it's hard to find anything that um, is accessible for a person like me with a disability if I'm really in a rush. Um, I would like Muni Uh, to be aware, just as Bob Planthood said, in terms of certain perspectives here that are important for the community. um, And I think it's vital. um, I would like Muni when they're making decisions to make sure the disability perspective and the laws are being met, as well as understanding we are persons that are commuting to work and taking care of our parents and visiting friends and, and wanting to have that accessible inclusive access to the city Um, so that's my um, comment Uh, but I do did appreciate within the presentation that I did hear that there is a consideration but I would like to see more consideration to the needs of transportation of persons with disabilities and seniors especially when we're working on getting people out of their cars and I've been a public transportation writer my whole life and it is not Set up in a way that's accessible, or uh, provides me the opportunity to work and care for my parents, and enjoy the city.
0: Thank you. Thank you for comment. Do we have any more public comment at this time? Yes.
1: Caller ending in three nine seven nine. You've been permitted to unmute.
3: Hello.
15: Am I unmuted to speak now? Yes. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Tomasita Medall. And I would like to request that when the Muni makes any kind of decision that you seriously think about what it would be like to be disabled and trying to get to a bus stop I have been appalled along Mission Street where you put the, um, the red zones and um, eliminated many bus stops because um, for those of us with disabilities, even having to walk one extra block is a, is a very great hardship and two is an impossible hardship. Not only has this had impact upon the seniors who need to shop at the shops along um, Mission Street, I'm sure it's had a very great impact on the stores themselves where people no longer can um, can go to them because they're too far to walk to. So when you have, when you're, I'm sure that you're, the comments that are coming from the disability community, as you have mentioned, have uh, been strong in saying to, to restore as many stops as possible because what's been happening in the last 10 or 20 years, it seems that Muni just wants to get the worker bees downtown faster get them to, to uh, serve their corporate masters faster. But um, the consideration for s- providing service to the local people, to the people who live here, to the elders, to all of the, the community has not been the priority. It's been the corporate uh, priority has been the priority. And that's, that's just wrong because all of us who live in San Francisco are, are paying taxes and whether or not we're paying taxes, we have the right to be and the need to be respected and so stop focusing on speeding people to get them downtown and instead focus on serving everyone in the population to help them to get to where they need to go. So once again, please restore all the bus stops that have ever been eliminated in the last 10 years and make Muni be a service, not a corporate tool. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comment. Um, next public comment.
1: There are no other public commenters at this time.
0: Thank you, man Um, again, again, thank you very much, Steve and Matt. Um, I I forgot your name, sorry. But thank you very much for coming, and I hope. We can work together in the future. For this item, I'm gonna cross this item number um, five. Now we're going to public um to the um to the next um item which is We're going to take a break for 15 minutes break. And once we come back, we have Garden Gate Public Access and Safety Program of JFK. Um, Again, we're going to take a break for 15 minutes. Thank you all. Hello. Chair, for mayor's and disability culture today, Friday, October, fifteen 2001. Now welcome back. Um, today we have on item number six information, item Golden Gate Public Access and safety program of JFK. We have presentation, locus Toplin, our San Francisco Park and Maddie Robono, San Francisco MTA. Thank all. Uh Thanks, Alex.
16: Um, as Alex said, I'm Maddie Ruvelo. I'm a transportation planner on the Accessible Services team at SFMTA, and I'm here with um, Lucas Tobin. Lucas, do you want to introduce yourself?
17: Hi, thanks, Maddie, and thanks, Alex. Uh, I'm Lucas Tobin, and I am Supervisor for Therapeutic Recreation and Inclusion Services and ADA Coordinator for Programmatic Access with SF Recreation and Parks, and happy to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you, both of you. So, who would need a um 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 screen share? Um, I
16: will be screen sharing, and it looks like I'm able to share. So, if it's okay with you, I can go ahead and share my
0: screen. Good. Great. Great. Thank you.
16: So again, welcome everyone. Um, I'm really excited to be here to talk to you all today. Um, In addition to working at MTA, I I have a background in disability advocacy and I have a disability myself. And so I'm always really excited to come to MDC. Um, We're here today to talk about the Golden Gate Park Access and Safety Program. We're here for a couple of reasons. Um, One, so that Lucas and I can share some information about the current um options for the future of transportation and specifically focused on accessible transportation in the park we're also going to talk a little bit about the feedback that we've received thus far from the disability community Um, and then finally and perhaps most importantly we want to hear from members of the council and of course we will also uh we want to hear public comment about what people think of these options Um, so without further ado move forward. SO um, I AM GOING TO START OFF BY GIVING A LITTLE BIT OF BACKGROUND and CONTEXT. Um, I SHOULD NOTE THAT THERE IS ADDITIONAL BACKGROUND INFORMATION ON uh, THE STORY MAP ON THE PROJECT WEBSITE WHICH WE SENT TO THE COUNCIL MEMBERS IN ADVANCE Um, AND WE CAN ALSO PERHAPS SOMEONE CAN PUT A LINK TO THAT IN THE CHAT um, SO THAT IF FOLKS WANT SOME ADDITIONAL CONTEXT um, BUT FOR THE SAKE OF TIME WE'RE GOING TO DIVE RIGHT INTO THE DISABILITY COMMUNITY FEEDBACK, TALK ABOUT THE PROJECT PROPOSALS. Um discuss some of the outreach and stakeholder engagement we've done and that we continue to do, and then we'll have time for uh, comments and discussion. So uh, here is some program background and context. So um, to start with, we want to share some information about the current state of things, which is that 75% of traffic um, through Golden Gate Park um, has uh, is currently cut through traffic, um, and so this is traffic that does not have park destination or a purpose. Um, and so these are folks who are who are driving through the park and using uh, the roads as a shortcut. Um, we also want to note that almost seven million walking, rolling, biking, and strolling trips have been uh, have happened on the car-free section of JFK since April 2020. Um, which is a 36% daily increase in park visits.
0: But if you don't mind, I'm describing. Oh, describe the um, images, right? Yeah.
16: My apologies. OK, I was thinking about this earlier and uh, slipped my mind. Uh, I'm very sorry. I will go back. You're so, doing good. You're doing good. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Um, OK, so uh, this image where we're talking about cut-through traffic, um, which sort of gets to some of the larger questions around um, the purposes of the streets in the park. Um, There is an image of um, a road through the park that has uh, a number of cars on it, um, and it's a a photo from above. And um, the next image where we talk about how um, there has been a large increase in people uh, walking or rolling or biking on JFK, since the closure, um, there's an image of it appears to be a father and daughter riding their bikes. Um, And then we're on to our next slide, um, where we have a photo of a man bending down to light a candle next to a white bike, which is known as a ghost bike. Um, And these are bikes that are installed in places where cyclists have been killed. And um, here's where we want to note, of course, that the streets in Golden Gate Park um, have been designed for speed, for driver speed, um, and that has had some deadly consequences, Um, and this is in particular a ghost bike for Heather Miller, who was killed while cycling on JFK um, in 2016. Um, so again, this gets to our goals around Vision Zero, where we want to have zero traffic deaths in San Francisco. Um, and we know that Vision Zero is of particular importance and interest to members of the disability community and older adults because um, older or older adults and people with disabilities are more vulnerable pedestrians who are more likely, unfortunately, to be hurt um, or even killed in a collision. Um, and so we've had zero injury collisions since the closure um, along these stretches of road. But in the five years preceding the closure, there were more than 100 injury collisions involving people walking and biking in the park. Um, and so part of the reason we share this information is to say that you know the status quo before the closure um, was also inequitable and was also something, there, there were issues there that we wanted to change. And so the image we have here is a map um, of the park, and it shows it, where uh, car-free or slow streets are highlighted in purple. And then there are circles showing areas where there were uh, a larger number of collisions. And so it shows that 38 of these collisions occurred on the current car-free streets. Right. So um, a little bit about the program scope. Um, so we know that there are a lot of accessibility issues in the park um, that we've been hearing about and that we want to see addressed. Um, Unfortunately, not all of the accessibility issues in the park are within the scope of this project. And so we want to be clear about what we're asking for feedback on and what we are able to change and fix within the context of this project. This is not to say, of course, that you should not talk about or tell us about other accessibility issues in the park. And in fact, um, other comments about accessibility issues in the park can also go uh, to MOD and to Rec Park as well. Um, But in terms of the decisions that are being made imminently, we are, there's a decision uh, being made about the closed streets alignment. So essentially which streets, if any, will remain closed to cars in Golden Gate Park post pandemic. Um, we're also making decisions about and also actively making changes around supportive transportation policies and projects to make it easier to access the park by all modes. Um, and then there are some decisions that are beyond the scope of this project, as I said, so broader capital improvements and larger city operations. Oh, apologies. Um, okay. So um, now let's talk a little bit about the feedback that we've received to date. Um As you perhaps know, there was a focus group um, around Golden Gate Park and the streets in the park. We've also been doing um, a lot of outreach in the past couple of months where we've gone to a number of specific disability organizations, um, including the Transit Justice Group. We've also gone to the MAC meeting at MTA. We've had in-person and even one live streamed tour, accessibility tour of the park to talk about some of the features that we're going to be discussing here in a few minutes. Um, And then there's also been, um, of course, uh, the survey that's been the general survey, but we have demographic questions, um, you know, so we can break out the responses from people with disabilities and from older adults. Um, So this is all to say that we've uh, been receiving um, and soliciting a lot of feedback already. And so we wanted to share some of that with you today. Um, We're not at the end of our outreach process, but of course, because we've already done a good chunk of the the feedback, we wanted to to talk about that. So here are some of the things that we've heard. And of course, this is not, uh, can't possibly encompass everything that we've heard, but here are some of the large themes. So we've heard from people that previous approaches to disability community outreach by the city have felt ableist or ageist. that people have felt like CITY PLANNERS ARE NOT TAKING INTO ACCOUNT THE PERSPECTIVES OF PEOPLE WITH DISABILITIES AND OLDER ADULTS AND NOT SEEING THINGS THROUGH THE LENS OF ACCESSIBILITY. Um, WE'VE HEARD THAT SOME PEOPLE WITH DISABILITIES AND OLDER ADULTS USE THEIR CARS AS MOBILITY DEVICES. THAT THIS IS A REALLY KEY ISSUE FOR A LOT OF PEOPLE AND THEN A LOT OF PEOPLE um, HAVE TOLD US THAT THEY RELY ON THEIR VEHICLES AS A DISABILITY MOBILITY DEVICE TO GET AROUND. We've heard that there is a a huge need for uh, additional wayfinding signage to assist all park park goers, um, including paratransit and pick up and drop off. This is something that has come up, especially on our in-person tours throughout the park, where we've seen how some of the signage is really confusing or is missing. um, and And it does not have all the information that people would need in order to understand how to navigate through the park and also Um, At the same time, that there should be more information online available so people can do uh, more advanced planning and know where they're going to go before they get to the park. Um, We've also heard from some people and older adults who say that the lack of cars on the streets make them feel safer. Um, And of course, you know, the disability community is not a monolith. And so we have been hearing from people who um, are, you know, concerned about traffic safety and really feel like the closed streets are an improvement for them and are increasing accessibility. Um, We have heard uh, that the current park shuttle is not reliable or user friendly and that stops don't have seating or shelter. And we're gonna talk more about the park shuttle in just a little bit. Um, We've also heard that many people with disabilities are low income and have concerns paying for parking. And we've heard that out of town park visitors with disabilities or families with children and older parents with mobility devices Um, express that uh, finding parking close enough to park features to where they're going in the park has been challenging. So, um, as we have received this feedback, we've also started making some accessibility improvements right now. Um, And so there are some uh, decisions that, you know, because we have heard from so many people that accessibility was such an issue in the park, we went ahead and started with you know, using that feedback, started making accessibility improvements. Um, and then of course, there are other things that are still in progress and things that we are still actively soliciting feedback around um, that we'll also talk about as well. So, um, and we will talk about each of these or, or some of these in more detail. So new on-street disabled parking spaces, um, pickup and drop-off zones in front of the, the DeYoung and the Cal Academy of Sciences, Um, We reopened um, Conservatory Drive West, which provides Dollydale access, Um, and we have um, the parking lot behind um, the band show and the music concourse, and when we will have maps, and I can specifically point out where these are on the maps, but there is a large parking lot that is being completely converted into disabled parking, and so, and and right now, if you go to that parking lot, you'll see there are some disabled parking spaces, you'll also see that the path of travel is kind of unclear and that the pavement is like kind of broken up. Um, and so that is going to be completely changed and redone and will be a uh, a large disabled parking lot. And we expect to yield somewhere between 14 and 19 new disabled parking spaces from that. Um, and so that is still in design, but funding has been secured, which is a huge uh, step in the direction that we need to go in. And so that was, that was recently secured. Um, and so that is moving. Um, uh, in addition, you know there are operational um, accessibility improvements. So we have our adaptive bike share events every Sunday, and we've also done some outreach, and we'll do additional outreach uh, through these events. Um, we're exploring dynamic parking rates in the Music Concourse Garage, which essentially means looking at um, options so that the parking garage can lower some price, we can lower prices um, when the parking is in lower demand, and so. Uh, Hopefully that would allow more people to park in the garage because the parking would be cheaper. Um, And then again, the shuttle, uh, better routing and higher frequency. So um, here is a photo of two new, or actually three new disabled parking spaces. Um, And we we understand that challenges uh, regarding accessible parking have existed for a while now, including you know predating the closure, but have felt more challenging with the closures. Um, we've completed already five new spaces on MLK and three on Nancy Pelosi. Um, there are four spaces in the Banshell parking lot that are now free and available uh, seven days a week. And then, as I said, um, you know the Music Concourse Banshell parking lot, which was uh, primarily used for tour buses, will be converted um, to new. Free disabled parking spaces, which is more than the number of spaces lost on JFK. Um, And then here uh, for our slide on passenger loading zones, we have a photo um, of the loading zones in front of the De Young um, and in the music concourse loop. Um, And there are the curbs are painted white, and there are curb ramps um, along the way so that people are able to get out and load. Um, unload. Um, and so we want to reiterate for folks that vehicles can always access the passenger loading zones in front of the DeYoung and the Academy of Sciences. Um, so these remain open, you can still be dropped off or pick up right in front of the DeYoung and the California Academy of Sciences uh, throughout the closure. There is also a 15 minute free drop off and pick up in the garage, which can be accessed. Um, from both sides of the park. So if you're coming from the north side and you don't necessarily want to drive all the way around to get to the music concourse, you could go into the garage. However, we know that there are accessibility improvements that need to be made to make this drop off option more accessible to more people. And so we're currently exploring that as well. and we are um, actively working to improve information on how people can get to the park destinations now. Um, and this is something in particular that Rec Park has been working on. And additional information um, will be available on their websites by the end of the month. And so there's a photo here of a map inset. And this is specifically designed to be high contrast, and easier to read, more accessible. Um, and shows uh, people where there are currently disabled parking spaces available so people can more easily plan their trips. Um, So these improved visual maps and also text directions of how to find accessible parking and drop-off zones will be posted on our websites. Um, And as I said, these will be available by the end of the month.
17: Maddie, can I just chime in? Yes, please. This, this is Lucas from Wreck and Park. Um, that yeah, this is something we've been a lot of the feedback we've been getting is just that that people are just not aware how to get to the destinations they want to get to, and that there actually are ways to get to these destinations. Um, so this is something that we're really prioritizing and, and making happen right away because um it's clear that the information Hasn't been clear enough and hasn't been available enough for people. So, like Maddie said, um, we're we're working to get this posted as, as quickly as we can.
16: Yeah. Thanks, Lucas. Yes. Um, we so here is a larger map um, of the whole park and uh, the accessible parking and passenger loading zones. Um, And so again, this will be available on the website uh, on our websites by the end of the month, Um, and we hope this will provide better information for people um, who are looking to come to the park and don't know where they're able to park right now. Um, Excuse me. Um, So uh, again, you you will have these maps, and uh, some of these might be hard to read um, in this context on the screen, but we hope. You know, you'll be able to, to zoom in and they're specifically designed to be as readable and as legible as possible. So um, and I, we're going to go over some of the, the text. So examples, I won't read through each of these examples, but we wanted to just show um, what some of the examples of the text directions that will be on the website will look like. Um, and so uh, the first example here is of the you know, Conservatory of Flowers, Dahlia Garden and Tennis Center. And so it provides, um, you know, several sentences of text to share, you know, how many four accessible parking spaces are available, which block they're on, um, that one space is located in front of the tennis center and three spaces are located at the end of the block. Um, And so we hope having directions like these will also make navigating to the park easier and will help people feel more um, informed and more empowered to make decisions about their transportation uh, needs. So um, in addition, we've been hearing a lot from folks about getting to the park using paratransit. And here I have an image of several paratransit uh, vans. And so we wanted to let people know that we have confirmed with paratransit that their vehicles can enter the park at the 8th Avenue entrance. Um, for faster access to the music concourse, which is the DeYoung and the California Academy of Sciences are located right there. Um, And again, 8th Avenue is currently closed to private vehicles that paratransit is allowed through. Um, We've been hearing from paratransit that not many people have been dropped off around here. And we are concerned that that's because people don't realize they can be dropped off here. And so we want to make sure that people know that you can take paratransit to these locations, you can take paratransit to the DeYoung and be dropped off directly there. So um, the project proposal. So these are the three proposals, um, and actually I, I, there is another one that is currently newly under consideration that I will also mention, um, but these are the proposals That we are discussing as options for the future of JFK and surrounding streets and so I will go over each of the proposals. Each of the proposals has benefits and each of the proposals has drawbacks and so for you all as council members and for members of the public the question is which of these proposals do you feel like works best for you which would you like to see Um, and that is part of why one of the main reasons we're here today to discuss. So um, before we share the proposals, some of the considerations that went into selecting these as our final three options to bring forward. So the first is engineering considerations. Um, and so you know whenever we're looking at a new street alignment, it's really important that it works from an engineering perspective. So it needs to be legible, meaning it needs to be easy to understand for people who are navigating the streets, whether they're drivers or pedestrians. Um, it needs to be safe, um, and you know it needs to work. Um, from from an engineering standpoint, it just needs to uh, be feasible. We also looked at which options provided um, the most uh, additional ADA or disabled parking spaces. So which which uh, which options provided more blue zones? And there were some options that we looked at that reopened parts of streets to cars, but didn't really provide many disabled parking spaces. And so we put those aside. Um, We want to maintain delivery access to park institutions. So these are the museums. Um, We want to improve pickup and drop off access. We know that that's not how everybody gets to the park, but we know that that is how some people get to the park. And so we want to make sure that that's an option that really works for people. Um, We also, of course, are interested in the park experience. We want to minimize disruption to the current park use. We want to prevent or minimize new cut-through traffic in the park because, again, cut-through traffic causes more traffic collisions and degrades the park experience. So here is the first option. Um, This is the existing car-free JFK option. Um, This is the map of the east side of JFK. And then, um, so we can see on this map that uh, streets, that that JFK Drive and a couple of streets off of JFK Drive are closed to vehicles. Um, And then there are a couple of shared streets off of uh, JFK Drive as well. Um, The, some of the outcomes of this uh, option are that we prevent cutthrough experience or <laughs> prevent cut-through traffic and enhance the park experience. We've had zero injury collisions since April 2020. We have more reliable transit service, um, and in particular, more reliable service on the 44 O'Shaughnessy for the Bayview and Excelsior. And these are neighborhoods that we are specifically interested in making sure can get to the park as easily as possible. Um, We also, uh, emergency vehicles can use the car-free space, so that is the benefit. Um, However, we know that additional access solutions are really needed here. So um, the next option is sort of a continuation of that first one, which is really just the west end. So this is a map of the west end of the car-free JFK, and also there is a portion of middle drive Um, that is shared, and then it goes to a portion of MLK that is currently close to vehicles. Um, This has very similar uh, benefits and drawbacks to the east end of the car-free space. So in addition to um, that alignment option, we're also looking at project proposals to make um, transportation access to the park easier and more accessible. Um, And so again, we want to revamp the park shuttle to make it more useful. We're also looking at a proposal to improve parking, loading, and access on Fulton Street. Um, And so this would be an additional uh, number of disabled parking spaces along Fulton. Um, And along with that, there would be a sidewalk expansion on Fulton to make the sidewalk wider and more accessible. And then the path from Fulton to JFK is a little bit steep at the moment. And so we would look at adding handrails and landings um, to make that path more accessible. Um, This is something we've actually already gotten some feedback on because of the accessibility tours. And we have heard from some people who are concerned about uh, if they're a driver who has a disability getting out onto Fulton because there are a lot of cars and they can go very fast on Fulton. And so we do understand that this might not work for everybody who's parking, but we do think it might work, and we want to solicit feedback um, from some folks, from folks about whether it would work for passengers um, who have disabilities who can get out directly onto the sidewalk. Um, We're also looking at the possibility of setting up a new taxi stand. So taxi stands in front of the museums, and of course, as I'm sure you all know, Uh, Many folks who use paratransit use taxis uh, as their paratransit vehicle. Um, Again, improving signage online and in person to improve navigation. Um, We're also looking at the possibility of additional bike racks, um, having bike shares, scooter share. um, And we're looking at uh, possibly permitting pedicab service within the park. And so these are all things that are under consideration. No decisions have been made. Um, But these are also things that we would like to hear your feedback on. So the shuttle. um, This has been something that we've heard a lot about, um, and so we wanted to get into this a little bit more in depth. Um, We have a photo here of the Park Shuttle, um, which um, as you can see, um, is a high floor vehicle that has stairs. It does have a lift on the back. So it is accessible via the lift, um, but it is a high floor vehicle, um, which we have definitely heard uh, comments about that that is not as accessible as people would like and people would like to have a low floor vehicle. But that's the photo of the shuttle. Um, And we have heard from a lot of people and we understand ourselves that the shuttle is not currently working well for park visitors. So we are really committed to improving it because we think this could be one of a series of valuable transportation options for people navigating through the park. Um, And so through this process and through this project, we are proposing substantial improvements to the shuttle program to make it work better. And we've sort of divided these improvements into short-term and long-term groupings. So in the short-term, we would maintain the current route. Um, We would increase Weekend service from two to three shuttle vehicles, which would mean that the shuttle would come more frequently. Um, we would add new weekday service with two shuttle vehicles. So, right now, the shuttle isn't running every day, and we've heard comments about that. And so, this would increase the shuttle's usability by having it run every day. Um, we would also upgrade existing shuttle stops to be more accessible and visible. So, we've heard things about how there aren't benches or how there aren't concrete landing paths, how it's difficult to get from the shuttle to an accessible path of travel. And so these are all things that we are committed to improving in the short term. And by short term, we mean winter 2021 to 2022. Um, so like, you know, the end of this year and the beginning of next year. Um, in the longer term, we want to do more outreach about the shuttle. So we want to hear uh, and work with the disability community in more depth to think about things like the route. So where should the shuttle go to be most useful? The frequency, how often does the shuttle need to run in order for people to want to use it? And possible connections to transit. So do we want the shuttle to share a stop with Muni? Um, SO THAT PEOPLE COULD POTENTIALLY TAKE MUNI AND THEN TRANSFER DIRECTLY TO THE SHUTTLE. SO THESE ARE ALL QUESTIONS AND there are ALL, YOU KNOW, TRADE-OFFS INVOLVED IN ALL OF THESE DECISIONS AND SO THIS IS SOMETHING WHERE WE ARE GOING TO BE DOING ADDITIONAL OUTREACH SPECIFICALLY FOCUSED ON THE SHUTTLE um, TO GET PEOPLE'S FEEDBACK um, SO THAT WE CAN MAKE SOME LONGER-TERM, BIGGER-PICTURE DECISIONS ABOUT THE FUTURE OF THE SHUTTLE. We're also pursuing a low floor shuttle vehicle procurement and new shuttle management. So we're thinking really like rethinking the whole shuttle program, but because this is a big picture, uh, these are big picture uh, ideas, that timeline is a little bit longer. So um, we have also here our project proposal options all on one map. And this is something that uh, you may want to go back potentially and revisit later, um, because there's a lot of detail on here. But we have a, uh, you know, a, a, the park shuttle route, um, and and this is like a potential route um, outlined in orange here. We have taxi stands. There are these maroon circles. So this is in front of DeYoung De Young and the Cal Academy of Sciences. Um, This blue stretch here along Fulton between 6th and 11th is where we're looking at adding that new disabled parking and doing the sidewalk extension um, and doing improvements to the path of travel. Um, And there are also loading zones uh, outlined here as well. Um, And so This is, again, uh, I think perhaps something that that some folks might want to go over in more detail later on. But we wanted to put it all on one map for folks to to view. Okay, so that that, um, was sort of the first option and then some additional transportation options. This is the second car alignment option. Um, And this is the private vehicle access loop option. And so, this is the option that would allow private vehicles. So, you know, just people who are driving their cars to the park to enter from 8th Avenue, go westbound one way um, to Transverse Drive. And so, this loop here, and this is there's a map here, and uh, there's an orange line that has an arrow direction showing which direction. the, the route is, which is westbound, um, where um, people could potentially or could drive their cars along this route. Um, one of the major benefits of this option is that it returns about 16 disabled parking spaces on JFK. Um, and in particular, it returns spaces that are quite close to the DeYoung Museum. Um, it retains some of the Safe Streets benefits by uh, continuing some parts of the closure of JFK. Um, It does create transit delays for the 5 and for the 44, and so that is a concern. Um, And it does, if you are somebody who is excited about the car-free experience, it does, of course, reduce that car-free experience. Um, And then maintaining a wide wide car-free promenade, which is important for emergency vehicle access, does preclude uh, having most of the parking. Um, So this is the second option that we're looking at. And then, oh, apologies. Um, And so then the third option is the no project option. And so this is the option where the road would be completely reopened to vehicles in the park. Um, All of the parking spaces would be available for use. Um, The downsides of course are that there would be substantial cut through traffic activity which has ramifications for the park experience and perhaps most importantly, for traffic safety. um, And it would create substantial delays
0: for the 44. I imagine, quick question. um, How many slides do you have left? um, Probably about four. I know,
16: because, yeah. Yes, I I know. This is a lot of information. So, uh, but almost done. Um, And then I guess I also wanted to mention, and this is uh, new news, but some of you may have heard about Supervisor Chan's proposal to allow vehicle access from 8th Avenue through to the music concourse. Um, And so I just wanted to share that our engineers at MTA are studying that option for engineering feasibility. So they're doing an engineering analysis, which is something that we have to do for all of the potential options um, to see, you know, essentially what the feasibility is. Um, And so there will be more information on that coming soon, um, but just to let you know that that is currently in the works. Um, Okay. And um, again, just wanted to share a little bit about our outreach and stakeholder engagement. There are a lot of stakeholders who we've reached throughout this process, um, including you can see at the bottom of the page, a lot of folks in the senior disability community. Um, we want, I want to, uh, as I have been saying at all of these meetings, uh, extend an offer if you have a specific organization or a specific group of people um, and you want to see this presentation or some form of this presentation and have a discussion with that group, we are more than happy to do that. Uh, we'll have contact information at the end in just two slides uh, and you can send us an email. Um, you can also go to the project website which has more information about outreach opportunities that are happening. Um, So here are some more key stakeholders, um, equity priority communities, folks in the neighborhood, folks all across the city and folks across the Bay Area. Um, So with that, we conclude this presentation. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Please feel free, I mean, we're going to have a, a discussion now, but also please feel free to send us an email or go to the project website. I really encourage everyone to take this survey. We are of course, you know, taking into account all of the feedback we receive in all of the different forums, but it's also really helpful for us if you are providing feedback uh, via the survey as well. So thank you so much.
9: Through the chairs, this is Nicole speaking through the chair, if I may. Uh, for, um, I just wanna let folks know we do not wanna rush this item. We know this is very important to the community And so we have interpreters and captioning available until around five today. So we we wanna make sure that we hear uh, and learn from everyone. We also, uh, could you please, uh, for folks who uh, do not have access to the chat through Zoom and might be watching on TV but not able to see, Maddie, could you please read the address and the place where you go to uh, find the story map and provide additional feedback. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you, Nicole. Um,
16: so you can email us at ggpaccess@sfmta.com. at sfmta.com. That's ggpaccess@sfmta.com. at sfmta.com. Um, you can also go to the project website to view the story map and take the survey at sfmta.com slash accessggp.
0: Do you have a number for if someone do not have an email or internet? Sorry, Alex, I had a tough time hearing you there. Do you have a phone number? For people that don't have an internet or an email, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm gonna
16: ask our uh, colleague Chris Kid, who I believe is on the line, if we, have, if he is able to jump in. Um, I think we do. Um, but I
0: think he can confirm that
16: that is the case. So Chris, if, if you're Jessica, able
0: to, if Jessica's, please. Announce it and put it in the chat. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Chris, um, if
16: you're able and to put that phone number in the chat. Oh, okay. I see you're you're on
17: now. Well, it's it's me, Lucas. I don't know if Chris has access or not, um, but I'm putting he put it um I'm putting it in the chat Hello. now and I'll read it out as well. Are you there, Chris?
18: I am, yes. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, yes, and thank you for putting my phone number in the chat. Uh, my work phone number is area code 415. 646-2852 uh, and to identify myself i'm christopher kidd i am the deputy program manager for the uh, golden gate park access and safety program uh, so any questions you might have uh, feel free to give me a call um, ho- hopefully during business hours but uh, <laughs> but i've been known to take calls outside of them as well
0: thank you chris now we am going to the question member's question, I see first classroom um,
9: member, okay, I'll be glad with your question. Just one moment, please. Just for ease of the interpreters, can we stop screen sharing? Yes. Thank you. One moment, please.
0: Thank you for that, Mary. Go ahead, uh will with your questions.
11: Hi, uh, yes. Um, I'll try to summarize best as possible. Um, I'd like to share a story that someone shared with me, and then um, I'll do my best to, uh, to briefly share my comments. So this person is deaf, they're older, and they work with uh, deaf, other deaf people with cognitive disabilities who rely on paratransit. And somehow, paratransit. So um, these people take art classes in the middle of Golden Gate Park, and there's no way to get there. So the driver told the group, That's my stop. So you have to walk this far in order to get to class. There's no way for me to drive through the park. And the, the driver apologized. So uh, the person who shared this story with me had to walk with this group. Some of them are using, um, used a a machine that actually ran out of battery. There was no place to charge it. She had to, uh, some of them were not able to walk up the steep hills to get to class. When they did get there, they arrived very late. And the instructor said, you're too late, I can't teach this class. So this, this person was actually laid off or fired because of that experience, because she, she brought them too late. And it was a, real, a very unfortunate situation with a huge impact. So we're not feeling a lot of support for, uh, to the disability community. We feel um, unseen and unheard. And the main reason for Golden Gate Park is it's free to go there. It's it's free for for uh, residents. And people need private vehicles or vans. The DeYoung Museum offers a free, a free program on Saturday for families, but people don't have access to it. They can't afford uh, a private parking. $33 is quite a bit. for some families so they're very excited to to take advantage of this free program so i please think about people who will show up and people that are showing up from the entire bay area from fremont from berkeley from sacramento from the south bay so it's so important to remember these people and they are driving to get to golden gate park so we want golden gate park to be green i understand that but it's not necessarily built that way if we're lo- if we're thinking about equality you know why don't we revamp the sidewalks the sidewalks can be much wider for runners and cyclists or have some area that is only for cyclists and for scooters if we make the sidewalks more uh, a wider and have one lane for the car, um, Golden Gate Park, I know that people drive through it. Um, I, um, if I'm going to the Mission area, my, my, uh, I live in the Richmond area. My son goes to school in Richmond. I have to drive through the park. I can't take highway one. I mean, and sometimes it's closed. It's not even an option. You know, sometimes there's a there's a huge detour in order to get to uh, our our destinations. So, Golden Gate Park is literally the heart of the city. Um, I know I'm I'm I have a lot of points here. I'm going to try to be brief when you think about all of the people that go to to Golden Gate Park, is it over 2 million people? Where do they go? And is there enough parking, disabled parking, for all of the uh, disabled people in the Bay Area? We're talking about 19 parking spots for millions of people or thousands of people. I mean... You know, there's no rule of, there's no time limit for disabled parking. So people might be parked there all day. Now, people who go to Golden Gate Park, a lot of them are volunteers and they need a car because some places are, are uh, not open 24 hours a, a day. You know, people are working there they need to be able to park there for eight, nine hours. If you think about the area off of 8th Avenue, there are many cultural events that, you know, there's science and there's art, and people go for science and art to enjoy and to thrive and to learn. That walk is so long. Not everyone can cycle. Not everyone can walk. You know, Garden- Golden Gate Park is very large. So just we just have to think about everyone. Why don't we redesign the sidewalk? One for walking, one for cycling on either side. Those are the things we should consider. I understand that Amsterdam has that type of approach to make streets safe? Why don't we learn from them and redesign? So those are my my abbreviated comments and I should uh, allow others to
16: talk. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Orchid, so much for those comments. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate how thoughtful you are. I know you also sent me an email early on in this process and I really appreciate how much you've thought about this and are thinking specifically about folks who have multiple disabilities who are deaf and who also have cognitive disabilities or who are deaf and are also older. Um, I guess first, I just wanna say about that paratransit incident, I'm really, really sorry to hear that. That shouldn't have happened. And I wanna follow up with you specifically about that because we've been talking to paratransit about how they're communicating this information to their drivers. And so we really wanna make sure that they know and understand that they should be taking people to their destinations um, in the park even, and that they can and should go on some of the closed streets to do so. So I want to follow up to understand that situation more um, and so, so we can follow up with paratransit. Um, yeah. I mean, I I really appreciate um, your comments about how, you know, a lot of folks do need their cars, do need parking. Um, I think I just want to clarify a, a couple of things um, just that um. There are, I know, you know, we talked about adding the 19 spaces in that parking lot. There are, of course, other parking spaces in other parts of the park. We have heard from people that it's not enough. And so I, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, that, you know, I'm not to discount that point um, at all, but there are additional spaces as well. Um, yeah, and we, we are looking at, you know, these, these options do exist because we want to look at you know, we want to make sure that the option that ends up being selected works well for the disability community. And so that may end up being, you know, the option that allows the access loop or the option that is reopening, um, you know. So I guess I want to also just make it clear that, um, that yeah, decisions have not been made yet and that this feedback is really helpful for us. We, we hear you. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for being part of this process.
0: Thank you all, good. No real help. Helen, Helen, glad with your question.
10: Okay, hey, thank you, Alex. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Lucas. Thank you so much for uh, speaking today. And, uh, Maddie, your presentation was really informative, as always. So, thank you. Um, and I have to say, I love your virtual background. I love the Muni bus. I want, I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, Maddie, I, I think you touched on this, but I wasn't quite sure. Maybe I, I didn't understand. Do SFMTA and Rec and Park, do you guys, are you partial to any one of these options? Um, and maybe you can't say, or I guess what, what I'm asking because my family filled out the survey. But I imagine one, this is a very difficult job, okay, to, to figure this out and to please everyone, right? Um, that's all. But um, it, I imagine that a lot of us answering the survey, at least I'll just speak for myself, when, we were, when my family was answering the survey, our point of reference was access for our 10 year old daughter in her wheelchair and my wife and i we can still push her we we are still mobile we have our full mobility you know and and so i just felt like it was that influenced our choices obviously i'm assuming that you all kind of had the have a birds eye view about what makes the most sense for the most people with this eye to keeping it accessible and so is is that true, and that the options you all presented to the public are are equally acceptable from a from a from a city perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. Um,
16: so, really, from the city perspective, we are putting forth these options because we think all three of them are viable, um, and we want to hear from members of the public because we know that we don't have all of the information and we don't have all of the perspectives and I think especially when you're talking about disability, you know, like there are so many different kinds of disabilities and so many people with disabilities have such a broad range of needs and sometimes those needs even conflict with each other and so we are not coming forward and saying like this is our one option now or this is like we are not coming forth with a favorite option now. I think part of this this whole process is designed to gather as much feedback to understand ultimately which does make the most sense, but that isn't a decision that has been made yet. And in fact, um, I have felt like, you know, part of the reason it's been so important to do so much disability outreach in this process is that there is so much that people on the city side like are not aware of or, you know, maybe have heard about but don't really understand you know on a personal visceral level and I know for the disability community in particular that you know sometimes it can feel like people in local government just care about you know code compliance and don't necessarily care about usability or user experiences and so that's why we really wanted to come forward and, and hear about what people's actual experiences have been because you know we can do our analysis and determine like which ones are compliant or like which options are compliant or what we need to do to come into compliance. And that is also very important. And we are also doing that, but we also want to understand from the public, well, what is usable and what actually works in practice. Mm -hmm. So I guess the short answer is no, there isn't one preferred option right now. Um, And that's, that's what we're trying to get to from this process.
10: Got it. Okay. Oh, oh, sure. Go
17: ahead. Well, I was just going to really pretty much piggyback on what Maddie said that from from Rick and Park's point of view as well, um, and there are just so many moving parts, and it's such a complicated um, issue that that we really do need to get this feedback um, to, to in order to help us, you know, just just figure it out, and you know, put these proposals out and and really find out what is going to work um, for you know, and and especially for because of what Maddie said earlier in the presentation that. Uh, The outreach to the disability community, you know, people have felt like they haven't been included as much in the past. So we really, you know, are trying to make sure that we're getting everybody's perspectives for the process.
10: Thank you, thank you for that. And and just one last point, if I may. Um, Whatever is ultimately decided, and I I imagine, and I'm just guessing here, that it would involve some part of JFK Drive. Um, remaining car free, um, perhaps, um, you know, currently, I, I, I cross JFK drive, drive quite frequently to play at the new pickleball and, and tennis center. Um, that that's gorgeous. And, and we're so lucky to have in the city that, that that the city just finished doing. Um, and I'm, I'm crossing frequently from that conservatory of flowers area into the, the tennis center. And I am, I am having to look both ways crossing JFK Drive like I would a road that wasn't closed, meaning I'm so nervous of the bicyclists. So that's another issue. Just because it's car free doesn't mean it's 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 much easier anyway. It, it's not that much easier for for people um, walking um, or in wheelchairs to cross um, and and so I know my colleague orchid had mentioned it a couple of times about making sidewalks wider or having designated lanes for things and and that might be something to think about um, uh, as follow-ups once once an option is decided so thank yeah. you for your time yeah thank you. Um, thank you I do want to reiterate
16: it is entirely possible that JFK will completely reopen to vehicles at the Really, there has not been, at least not that I'm aware of, a decision that has been made yet. Um, So, um, but I do, your point uh, is very well taken, and this is something that came up on the accessibility tours as well, um, that because on those tours, we crossed JFK, and so, you know, we did tours on weekdays and on weekends, and on weekdays, people found it pretty, you know, easy and low key to cross the street. And then on weekends, there were a lot more people there. And so people, we had a longer conversation about what people would need in order to feel safe just crossing the street um, because of great, right, because there are lots of cyclists and there are lots of runners and there are just, there's a lot of cross traffic. Um, and so that is something that we're thinking about also uh, to make sure people who are going across those streets um, feel safe as well. So yes, thank you for that, for bringing that up
3: as
0: Thank you, Alan. Are there
9: any council
0: members wish to ask questions?
9: I just want to elevate through the chair, Alex. That Deshawn, council member Deshawn, put a a question in the chat uh, earlier in the presentation. Um, Deshawn, I don't know if if you if you'd like to come off mute and ask your question, or if you'd like me to uh, read it.
7: Um, That's fine if you want to read it.
9: Okay, great. So uh, Jashan's question was, how have you been able to keep track of every biker, stroller, and non-driver in the park in order to notice the 36% increase? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So we have
16: a large uh, batch of anonymized cell phone data. um, That is basically how we understand the vehicle traffic. It's also how we understand Uh, The statistic about uh, the cut through traffic and um, we also if you go on the story map you'll notice that there's some information about where people are coming from like which neighborhoods people are coming from in the city to the park. Um, And all of that is through anonymized cell phone data. Um, So of course that doesn't, uh, you know, tell us down to the person, um, but it does give us a pretty accurate uh, sense of what is going on there.
17: That Chris, I think, had a comment too. He's got his hand up.
18: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted to, to add on to that as well that um that Rec Park also owns and maintains uh counters uh, that that actually passively count the the people that pass by them on the roadway. there's one installed near the intersection of of Music Concourse and JFK. And so when we look at the number of people using JFK drives since the, the COVID closure, um, that's the data that we're relying on. And this is a counter that is actually uh, sophisticated enough to tell differentiate between uh, vehicles, trucks, buses, uh, and people either walking or biking. And so uh, that, that counter has been up for, for, Oh gosh, at least since 2017 or 2018. Um, and it has had a few years of, of being able to collect data on who, was using that roadway both before the COVID closures and, and since then.
0: Thank you. Um, I think any council member wish to ask questions. Before I turn into the staff, I have a through for you. Uh, three. One is that uh, I want to angle with I um, could inhaling that with people with mobility device um, sidewalk including Gate um, some, most of the time is not wide enough for people in the riches. Are there any plans going forward to change that? That's one question. And the second question is that with this, we hear so many presentation right now regarding this and um, we asked in the past that if, you, if there is any working group that is specifically people with disability, all all kinds of disability, Um, like our working group, specifically helping MTL and Park, Wagon Park to make sure those accessibility issues is heard and Um, relatively fixed. And then my last question is that, um, where, like, um, well, I forgot my last question, but let's let's start with those two.
16: Okay, so, uh, just to make sure I heard you correctly. Um, The first question was about uh, expanding and fixing sidewalks. Yes. Is that correct? Okay, great. Um, Actually, I think I'm going to turn that over to Lucas, um, since he's from Rec Park and has more of a sense of the overall sidewalk situation.
17: Sure. So um, there there are some sidewalks and some paths of travel that that would be potentially affected by some of these proposals. Um, I think Maddie mentioned like getting up, getting into the park um, from Fulton Street. Um, there would be some improvements there. But as far as um, generally in the park, we know there are a lot of areas that need to be addressed. Um, and it's, it's uh, there are areas with cracked sidewalks and like you're saying, narrow, too narrow, sidewalks that are too narrow um, or too steep. Um, and that's, it's a, we we have gotten a lot of information from the public about areas that they're concerned about. Um, and so that's an ongoing process to prioritize those. Um, and um, so, you know, if there are specific areas though that you're concerned about, um, you can let us know. Um, myself or Alexis Ward, who's the um, ADA coordinator for physical access. And those are the kinds of projects that she's, um, you know, or the feedback that she's taking in. Um, and as far as your other question, which is about like a, a working group or panel, I think it's something that we talked about um, several months ago when we first talked about the Golden Gate Park issue. And, and I think that you brought up that um, suggestion and it's something that, that Debbie Kaplan and I have, have spoken about that, um, you know, some kind of a, a group that helps to um, to work with with Rec and Park, and I, I like the idea of because there's so much overlap with MTA, maybe it's something that that could be um, something we we work on together. Um, but to uh, you know to have a, a group that that uh, helps work with us on these on these projects um, could be really really beneficial, and to make sure that there is um, you know that we're getting the the feedback and the input. Um, and perspective of the disability community.
0: There is no group. Sorry, I couldn't mean, hear. There is no group at this time.
17: That's correct. I, I think, you know, really generally for this project is, is currently the big, you know, really the big outreach um, effort that we're making. Um, but um, but we don't specifically have a working group um, that's working on you know in general um, on projects. But I do think it's a it's a great idea.
0: Thank you. I I just remember my my last question is that um my, my last question is that would empty and park not park vacant park just proportion in these projects do you guys do a, a test run or do you guys rely on, to the, on the public input before changing or making improvement with the issue? Meaning, what I'm trying to say, instead of active, more proactive, in a way. So you're asking um, if we're
16: soliciting public input before we make changes, or if we're make, or if we're doing pilots before we make things permanent. Is that? Sorry, I just want to make sure I understand. I'm
0: asking if you guys. Doing a lot to um performing changes and then hitting pump the public, or do you guys do that after the issue occurs? Yeah, I think it depends
16: on the context. Um, Sometimes there are programs that have pilots first, and then we use the public input from the pilot to inform the permanent decision. Sometimes we select solicit public input and then make the decision after that before any changes are made. Um, I think in this case, because the the closure was during uh, the beginning of the pandemic, when the city um, wanted to open up more green space, it happened pretty quickly. And so that wasn't a normal process. And so now we're doing the process of soliciting public input. Um, I think it's also, we've learned, sometimes it's challenging to, it's challenging for um, anybody to sort of imagine what a situation will be like unless, until they see it. And so that's one of the benefits, of course, of, of trying something out and then getting feedback on that is that people can tell you what works and what doesn't work. But also, obviously, before we make big changes, we do want to solicit input so that we don't make changes that have you know, hugely detrimental effects on people.
0: Thank you. Now I'm opening up to the, uh, to the staff
9: for questions. Hi there. This is Nicole speaking again. Thanks again for coming, Lucas and Maddie. Uh, I'm just going to comment briefly. I just wanted to clarify one piece around the uh, community engagement working group uh, to Lucas's earlier point, I just want to make sure that the public knows that we've taken, uh, as MOD, every piece of feedback that we have heard from the public and we have funneled it through this process. There was also an extensive community engagement process that happened before MTA and Rec and Park started their work through Supervisor Fewer and Supervisor Chan. Uh, THAT HAD MULTIPLE DISABILITY ORGANIZATIONS uh, AND WORKING GROUP REPRESENTATION ACROSS uh, A LOT OF COMMUNITY ORGANIZATIONS IN THE Richmond DISTRICT AND AROUND THE CITY THAT HELPED GIVE US THE FRAMEWORK FOR SOME OF THE PRIMARY DISABILITY CONCERNS THAT MADDIE AND Lucas TALKED ABOUT TODAY. SO I JUST WANTED TO CLARIFY THAT uh, WE HAVE BEEN BRINGING EVERY PIECE OF FEEDBACK THAT I MOST de- RECEIVED DIRECTLY uh, back through to SFMTA, to Recreation and Parks, and when appropriate, to the County Transportation Authority as well. And we'll continue to do that, and we'll continue to be a resource for feedback in addition to everything that has been mentioned today. That said, I think moving forward, I, I want to um, emphasize in agreement with Alex that MOD is heard um, from various uh, members of the public and various community groups that uh, direct engagement of people with disabilities in the accessibility solutions is of critical importance. So I just want to emphasize that moving forward, that would be a good approach to continue to consider. But uh, please do continue to um, uh, let us know through the Mayor's Office on of Disability and all of these other um, mechanisms that Maddie and Lucas and Christopher have mentioned today. Uh, give us feedback and we uh, provide that. I also want to mention that we are in, uh, as a MOD, we've we been involved in uh, architectural review uh, to the degree that that's been necessary uh, for code compliance. And then uh, for some of these solutions that are happening right now and that we're also in uh, weekly meetings and sometimes more frequently than weekly on the community engagement process, specifically for people with disabilities. So um, uh, very engaged and we'll continue to bring every piece of feedback that we receive uh, forward and uh, for consideration in these proposals. So your feedback is critically important please continue to provide it. Thank you very much. Thank
0: you, Nicole. Are there any staff members' questions or comments? Hearing um, I would ask the clerk, a uh, man, can you open the meeting for the public comment Under the items.
1: Yes. Um, So, as a reminder, if you are joining the meeting on the Zoom webinar platform, you can indicate that you'd like to make public comment by clicking on the raise hand icon or by um, letting us know in the Q and A box. Uh, you can either indicate that you would like to make public comment and you will be uh, recognized when you're when it's your turn or you could type your public comment directly into that box. Uh, additionally, you can make public comment by phone. Um, for people who are not currently joining by joining by phone but would like to call in to make a comment, you can call six six nine nine zero zero six eight, Three, three, and the webinar ID is 85419550368 five, five, eight. and when you call in if you'd like to make a comment you can dial star nine to raise your hand and you will be prompted when it's your turn. We currently have multiple members of the public who would like to make public comment, and so I will proceed with um, uh, moving through the queue. Thank you. All right, so the first public commenter is Bob.
4: Okay, Bob Planthold. Um, I wanted to refer you back to a map towards the end of the presentation about the first option. The map is headed something like proposed routes, what's relevant there is if you look at the JFK map that extends west beyond the museum complex you'll see lots of circles or dots that indicate multiple points of interest sites to be visited facilities nothing really in the current plan presented or at the uh, earlier Saturday tour nothing's dealing with the area substantively west of the museum complex but there's the model ships lagoon, there's fly casting pool, there's um, the Buffalo paddock, there's all sorts of facilities, and that's relevant in terms of being able to take not just your car, but a taxi or a paratransit van, or Van Gogh, or any number of other facilities, private vehicles, you know, taxi cabs, somebody who's rented a car at SFO and picked me up, They don't have a blue placard on the car, but they need to get us to maybe a picnic site. All of that's important why closing off JFK Drive is just a bad idea unless you've got some extraordinarily critical monitoring to let anybody with a blue placard or a license plate be able to travel there and then drop me off or even park because you're going to need parking for us to be able to also picnic or go to the model ship lagoon, to the fly casting pool. I want to bring up something else. During the discussion, we heard somebody named Christopher Kidd mention some aspect, but, you know, we didn't hear. Is Christopher Kidd with MTA or with Rec and Park? We didn't get any contact information of an email address or phone number. We also heard of Alexis Ward is a deputy director for physical access, We didn't get any contact information for Alexis. Same Lucas Tobin, you know, it seemed you're something to do with programmatic accessibility, but these quick oral statements of XYZ, I don't know which agency you're with, how to reach you if I got a question or somebody else says, what's going on? And I say, well, contact Christopher Kidd. How? I don't know. And I have put it in chat, and nobody's responded even to that request in the chat. So I'm going to say, please, you got to afterwards send us contact information for Lucas Tobin, Christopher Kidd, and Alexis Ward. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I just want to clarify. Uh, and I I will ask Lucas, Mother, and Kid to please um, thank Mother to put everybody. In the chat, you, everybody's contact information. Thank you. I hope everybody, including Bob, can see that contact information. Already. Thank you. Going forward, um, Matt, please proceed for the next um, public comment. All right, Helen, you've been permitted to unmute. um hi uh
14: appreciate uh you know the presentation it's it's uh, a lot to digest but similar to what uh bob just said there's some areas and other places in the park that um, um what's being presented doesn't really create accessibility and inclusion for the diverse community persons with disabilities i do appreciate however also hearing that MOD is is really trying to take in uh, the feedback. I think it's great that you did outreach to bring in uh, the perspective uh, by doing tours and we will continue doing that of uh, the diverse community of persons with disabilities. So um, I I think as we work together, we will move through this together. But I I do believe that there are some still critical concerns here that we do need to address. I'm going to come from a perspective now of I'm an individual with a disability and I care for my parents that are aging with disabilities and it's very difficult for um, access to the park. I don't drive. Uh, There's other reasons why bus systems in the Sunset District don't necessarily provide the opportunity to get there blotty blotty. But on a good day when I ride my bicycle, I use an adaptive bike that's an e-bicycle. And when I'm looking at bike racks and other things that have been mentioned, and um, uh, there isn't bike racks specific for people who may ride a tricycle, people like me who have a custom e-bike that's equipped for my disability, it's basically a mobile device. Other things I thought was nice to maybe consider is yes, there are faster bike riders and there are slower bike riders. So now I'm gonna come from the perspective of a person with a disability who rides their bike, doesn't drive and use different modes of public transportation. It would be important to have uh, slow lanes and fast line lanes. Um, if you're coming from a vision zero perspective to uh, minimize collisions, because there may be collisions Um, with uh, uh, different modalities being used and people not being aware of uh, speeds uh, when you have elderly or people with disabilities that uh, walk slower or me on a day when my disability is pretty bad Um, one other consideration charging stations would be very important when I think about all three perspectives here with the park and I think about getting people out of their cars. Well, that same person's using mobility devices, electric wheelchairs, or let's say electric bicycles or scooters. If they're traveling all the way to visit the park, including tourists, um, they're going to be using up more uh, battery to get there because uh, modes of transportation. So the question comes, are we considering charging stations in the park so that people do not get stranded? Um, just an idea to put out there. I know that it wasn't pointed out in, in the, um, uh, different diagrams. So I guess to pinpoint it, I'm looking at bicycle riders with disabilities. I understand we have BORC that's providing opportunity for people to try different bikes, but are we thinking about accessible bike racks and parking? Are we thinking about slow and fast movement? Are we thinking about charging stations for person's, that may get stranded in the park because they don't have more juice in their battery. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comment. Next public comment, please. Um, Caller 7629,
1: you've been permitted to unmute.
3: Hello?
19: Hello, my name is Richard Rothman and um, I want to talk about two things. First is the Conservancy of Flowers. Uh, I've been up there twice behind coming in from the Arguello entrance and that is not ADA accessible. I don't know how Rec and Park can say that. There's no blue parking spots, ADA spots there. There's no sign saying how to get into the uh, uh, conservancy there. I I don't know how you can advertise that that's ADA accessible. Uh, It's beyond belief. If I'm missing something, I'll be happy to meet you up there. But I saw a regular cars park in there. Apparently that's a new way to get in there. And those parking spots by the the, uh, tennis court, they need to be adjusted. I had a, a car with a license plates and uh, one of them is too close to the barricades you know it's hard to get out Uh, lucky there was a car behind me so uh, those need to be fixed and I think the answer to the Conservancy of Flowers is having one lane uh, westbound lane closest to the north side just open to cars so cars with uh, handicap issues drivers (coughs) can drive from Standing Street to Conservancy West, turn right, and go out Arguello. Uh, and then they're gonna have the tree lighting, tree lighting this year. How are people with disabilities supposed to see those? You know, I think you, we gotta learn to share the roads. And as far as Fulton Street, you know, I think you need to have a, a transit lane only, either the length of Fulton Street or from uh, Park Presidio to 8th Avenue so people who have disability issues who drive can feel safe getting out of, out of the car and you gotta work on the, you know, uh, on the hill there. You know, we need to learn to share. The park has to be open to everybody, no matter what their physical characteristics are. And uh, I support Connie Chan's proposal for 8th Avenue. And what's going on with the garage? We don't hear anything about the garage. Uh, The lady from MTA said she was going to get back to me about the garage. Is the city going to take over paying the garage so we can reduce the fees in the garage and about the accessible doors? Are they going to put ADA so you can push the button to get into the Legion of Honor to get into the D. Young? So there's a lot of questions that need to be asked and it's, There's doesn't seem to be one overall. It just seems to be a scattered process and not overall coordinated. Thank you. Thank you
0: for your comment. Next public comment please. Caller ending in
1: 3979 you've been permitted to unmute.
15: Good afternoon, this is Tomasita Medal again. <clears throat> I'd like to, uh, first of all, I'd like to know how many members of the Disability Council are at this meeting, because we only see two members. Could somebody say, are there other members of the Dis- Mayor's Disability Council present? Hello? <clears throat> Anyways, okay, um, Maddie, I'd like to also know where you get your um, your fit, your idea that, um, that uh, the five Fulton line is in any way affected by whether there's a road closure or not. That you're just, I mean, you're showing your bias because it's clear that the, that the, um, the Recreation Park Commission and the SFCMTA already are pushing, you're, you're pushing this on the disability community as if it's a done deal. And I would like to remind the entire city and the, the Disability um, Council that, we have a, that you have a right to say no, that it's your duty as representatives of the disability community to just say, it is none of these plans are acceptable except to fill, fully reopen JFK Drive to everybody. That's the only alternative. You're trying to force us to take all these uh, turns and have to wait for a shuttle that we cannot get into because we can't climb upstairs. Why, how dare you be so mean and cruel to us and, and treat us like we're not even equal human beings and make us go through all this pain and suffering. You want us to wait out in the cold for a shuttle that we can't get into. You, you, you deprived us from being able to drive up and see the light show at the Conservatory of Flowers last winter. You de- deprived us of being, having any access to the light um, art piece inside the park last winter. Uh, this is not equal treatment of us as human beings and this part belongs to everybody. It doesn't just belong to the able-bodied and the young. And uh, you, you you, staff people like Lucas and, and uh, uh, all of you staff people, you are pushing an agenda that is completely oppressive to the disability community. And you need to stop that. And you, uh, you say things that are actually not true. For example, you talk about some studies, but I saw the <clears throat> the study you said that There's been, I saw it said pedestrian um, accidents and collisions in Golden Gate Park, east of Transverse Drive. Pedestrians, 21% was 20 uh, accidents. Bicycles, 40. Uh, And so if you, uh, 40 and 20 is 60. If you subtract that from the 90, the accidents that they said, you come up with 31 vehicle collisions. That's less than the ones that, for bicycles. Bicycles were 40, vehicles were 31. So stop saying, uh, changing the facts to, to suit your purposes, which seems to be to deprive us of equal access to the park. There is no better solution than to restore the agreement that was kept, that was implemented in 2007, which was already a compromise. And that is the compromise to keep the road open every day, 24 seven, except every Sunday and holiday when it's closed to cars, as well as from uh, April 1st to September 30th, when it's closed, to cars for part of the road from Hagewari Drive to Transverse Drive. That's already a compromise, and that compromise should be reinstated, which is reopen JFK Drive to everybody because we all deserve a right to have equal access and full access to the park. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comment. I just would declare for something that all of the council members have patient is here for this public meeting Amanda um, I mean, do we have any more public comment at this time?
1: Um, we have a question that came into the QA um, and it says can it's an anonymous question and it says can all members of the MDC, Publicly uh, disclose any affiliations with park institutions, including but not limited to the DeYoung Museum and its volunteer programs and access advisory boards.
0: I will defer that to the call of
9: We can discuss that as part of a public comment debrief in your executive planning meeting if you would like. Thank you. Nicole.
1: Okay, and we do have um, another public comment. Um, Luke, you've been permitted to unmute.
20: Thank you. Um, and thank you, co chairs. Uh, and uh, council, if you hear uh, toddler noise in the background, it's just my daughter. She's having a down down. So uh, thanks for your uh, Patients with that and background. Um, my name's Luke Bornheimer. I'm one of the lead organizers of an organization called KidSafe SF um, that has been advocating um, for the continuation of what is being called KidSafe JFK or, or Car Free JFK as, as many others know it. Um, we have also been advocating and working with RPD and MTA to increase access to the park, um, notably through reform on the museum garage, which is um Drastically underutilized right now, um, as well as through Conservatory Drive West, uh, increased ADA spots on Nancy Pelosi, um, more parking behind the Bancho as you all heard about today, um, and I just um, I just want to emphasize that uh, I've spent I've spent countless hours on JFK in the past year, um, many of which was with our two-year-old daughter um, as she learned to scoot. Um, and just was able to kind of live freely not worrying about uh, a car hitting her. Um, and I've talked to countless um, people with disabilities who have traveled from as far as Fremont or San Jose to San Francisco to visit JFK, the Western and car free sections of the park and, um, and Upper Grade Highway when it was closed to uh, car traffic. Um, and they came here specifically for the fact that these spaces were car-free and they were smooth. Um, and so they were able to use them without fear of getting to buy a car and with the peacefulness of not having car noise and exhaust nearby. And so first and foremost, I just wanna highlight the fact that there are a number, um, a good chunk, maybe the majority of the disabled community who supports spaces like this and wants to see more of them. Um, and I also wanna emphasize that we are continuing to advocate for increased access, um, especially around parking for people with disabilities. Um, Again, mentioning mentioning the museum garage, it's been terribly mismanaged. Um, The board that oversees it uh, hasn't met in over two years. Um, And despite what the museums say about the museum garage, six of the seven board members on that museum garage board uh, are affiliated with the museums. So if there's anyone who can do something about the museum garage, it is the museums, despite what they say publicly. And so we will continue to advocate for increased access to the park, including the JFK, including for people who must drive cars. Um, We know that there is a need for that and we will continue to advocate for increased access. And our focus is on just keeping the space peaceful and safe for kids and people of all ages and abilities and especially people with disabilities to go around freely without the fear of getting hit by a car um, or having to deal with car noise and exhaust. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.
0: Thank you for the comment. Are there any public comment at this time? Uh I
1: there are no other public comments at this time.
3: Uh hey,
0: everybody. Okay. Um now we uh we're going to I'm gonna wait for like 10 seconds before moving into the next um, item of the for last come for this item. All right. Thank you so much for Lucas and Mary and Christopher Kidd for coming to us and talking to us with your updates regarding this. I hope we can work more on this issue in the future. Please, out if you need more, uh, if you have more updates in the future. Once again, thank you for coming. Thank you. Now we are moving along to item number eight. Um information item um, reports from mayor's office on disability by director bond.
9: And Nicole. Okay, hello everyone. Uh, I think I am now spotlighted. I'm just going to wait and make sure we don't have to do any uh, interpreter adjustment. I'm going to pause one moment. Okay, I'm going to be uh, reading some uh, highlights from uh, a a written report that I have this month, which I will uh, make sure that um, uh, John from the MOD office gets to all the council members. Uh, following this meeting and it will be posted to the MOD website under what's new on uh, Monday morning. Um, And so in brief, uh, I have organized the report in a a little bit differently this time in uh, legislative updates, uh, resources, and then some items for uh, MDC consideration. Regarding the legislative updates, I will not go into detail about those. Those are explicitly um, listed in the report, but they pertain to the accessible business entrance ordinance and uh, improvements and outreach that's happening there. Um, The uh, land use and transportation committee is going to be hearing the uh, uh, ABE extension item that the council heard last month on Monday, October 18th and the program website is complete. I've also listed the resolution uh, from Supervisor Chan regarding the Beach to Bay car free connection and equitable access to Golden Gate Park proposal. I have listed details on the shared spaces permanent program, which uh, the council will be updated on and the public will be updated on on the November 19, 2021 MDC meeting And also an item, housing needs assessment and production pipeline reports for seniors and people with disabilities, which has passed. And this council will also be hearing that item at the November 19th meeting. So please take a look at that legislation uh, and uh, the details related to that uh, at your leisure when you can. At the state level, uh, I'd urge you to look at um, Senate Bill 639, which is a bill to end subminimum wage for people with disabilities in California. The council may want to discuss in executive planning meeting if you would like to uh, prepare a supportive response or not in that uh, particular legislation. And I've also listed updates on the transportation network company uh, access for all legislation, which is continued in uh, proceedings to the California public. Utilities Commission and is currently focused on access fund offset requirements. In terms of local disability community events, there's a few things that I'd like to highlight. First, yesterday was the first annual National Disability Employment Awareness Month celebration, which MOD attended and we did highlight the work of the MDC Employment Subcommittee. And so the council may consider hearing an update from the employment subcommittee at an upcoming public meeting so we can learn more about that. Also, wanted to let you know that this weekend, starting tonight, is the 35th annual Superfest Virtual Disability Film Festival, which you can watch at your own pace, and there are interactive live events. For more information on that, uh, it is a live digital film festival. You can go to superfestfilmoneword.com backslash superfest one word hyphen 2021. And uh, finally, in terms of local events, a reminder that October 26th is the California Master Plan for Aging Regional Forum that is focused on ending homelessness among seniors and people with disabilities. This is another virtual forum that will be held on October 26th uh, from 1 to 3 p.m. You can register uh, via the Community Living Campaign website at sfcommunityliving, one word, org. A few resource updates that I wanted to provide. One is another reminder that if you're experiencing uh uh, uh, difficulty with rent or uh, eviction protection. The city has a resource for you with uh, with the, these resources, sf.gov backslash rent help. You can also access this information. If you don't have access to uh, internet or email uh, by calling 311. Uh, An update on COVID-19 vaccine avail- availability. Third doses are currently available for immunocompromised individuals, November 2021. We expect a launch of a disability specific San Francisco vaccination clinic at the Lighthouse for the Blind. You may recall that they hosted another uh, an earlier disability specific vaccination clinic. These discussions are underway and dates will be announced soon. It would be open to all Lighthouse clients and as well as any San Franciscan with disabilities. An update on the home vaccination program, that that program is still available by contacting the call center, as well as any other question that you might have around the best way to access the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. The focus on the homebound program is still on first doses. Uh, individuals that are previously vaccinated to the home program who would like a third dose are welcome to call and then they're placed on a wait list um, for when we have more information, for when we will have uh, folks available for that process. The call center number again is 628-217-6101. And finally, I wanted to highlight a few items that the council may consider for future hearing consideration, action or resolution. In addition to the items that were heard today, uh, the Better Market Street accessibility improvements update may be a potential topic. Uh, Virtual public meeting participation for people with disabilities, post-emergency order continuation request uh, is a, a potential topic. As a reminder, MOD forwarded to the council the uh, advocacy letter from the one moment, I'm going to wait for the traffic to pause, pass. Uh, We forwarded an advocacy letter to you from the Community Alliance of Disability Advocates, or CADA, uh, that was sent to the mayor's office and the city administrator asking for continuation of virtual meetings post-emergency. Recommend that you take a closer look at that. If you haven't had a chance to do that yet, please do so. Um, Multiple city departments are currently working on a response to the questions raised in the letter and the virtual meetings of the MDC at least will uh, continue until at least December 31st of this year. Two more items before I close out the report are the uh, empowered San Francisco technology needs assessment for people with disabilities and older adults has uh, that is about to be released with formal recommendations for public review. That expected release date is October 18th, 2021. I know this council has been interested in that and may want to consider inviting uh, inviting folks to uh, discuss uh, those results. And finally, another agenda item for consideration could be uh, a visit again from the Department of Children, Youth and Families about the Summer Together program and also the SF Rise program and how um, we're uh, accommodating and working with children and youth specifically with disabilities. And, and that for now concludes my report. I just want to mention that if anyone from the public would like to engage with any, mem- any part of this report or has any questions, they can email us at mod at sfgov.org, or they may call 415-554-6789. We also encourage you, if you have access to email, to join our distribution list by contacting us or by visiting our homepage at https colon backslash backslash sf sfgov.org backslash MOD and once again, I will forward this report to all the council members immediately following this meeting, and it will be posted under the What's New section of the MOD website on Monday. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. to public general public Yes,
1: so we welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for public comments at the beginning and end of the meeting. Each comment is limited to three minutes. If you want the council to respond to your comments following the meeting, please provide your contact information by email message to M. O-D at S-F-G-O-V org with the subject MDC comment, reply, request. Um, to make public comment on the Zoom webinar platform, you can uh, indicate that you would like to make a comment by clicking on the raise hand icon and you will be prompted when it's your turn. You can also use the Q&A feature in the Zoom webinar to be recognized or to make a comment. If you wish to be recognized, type into the Q&A box that you want to make a comment and hit send. You can also type your comment into the Q&A box and the clerk will read it for you. If you're joining by phone, uh, dial star nine when you want to be recognized. You will be prompted when it's your turn to make comments. If you need assistance accessing the meeting, please call 415-919-9562 or send an email to mod at sfgov.org. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council that are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. And uh, with that, I see one person interested in making public comment. And so Helen, you've been permitted to unmute.
14: Yeah, hi, Uh, thanks for this opportunity to make a general comment. My general comment comment is going to be on data collection um several years ago i've been attending your meetings and i have been speaking on communications areas which i'm glad to see that you know wayfinding and other kinds of things are being thought of now but i also want to introduce something else i've been trying to bring to light is everything is data driven when plans are made in municipalities and because technology not being accessible and we're using different modalities, um, it's I have to say that many of our baselines we're working off of are coming from an able body perspective um, that we're working on. And I just want us to be cognizant of that. Um, I do appreciate hearing that now there's outreach going to uh, do tours in different things so persons with disabilities and seniors can um, provide you um, additions to the data. But just as we heard today, when data is taken off of cell phone data and we have a digital divide, we have persons that may not be using this type of technology, we may not have accuracy of persons with disabilities. and are elderly and people who may not use the technology that are in our parks or use different types. Maybe they're using Wi-Fi, or maybe, you know, so it's not an automatic pickup with the data the city is purchasing to make these plans. And I just want to reiterate that we need to be really aware of this and understand the frustration of the disability community because if we're not there in the data, our voices do need to be stronger as you're hearing And I hope we can continue to work together, but I also think we need to be aware that technology should be addressed at some point here, so that when things are data-driven, we're getting more accurate baselines that aren't from an ableist perspective, instead are from a perspective where there's inclusive, and being inclusive is meaning when you're taking your data Uh, is to make sure uh, you are aware of the accessibility um, in this new age. So I'm just going to stop there. Um, I I know we can continue working on this, but I just want to bring the light um, to the area of being, to understand why the community um, is upset. I am also upset but we're willing to work but we also need these improvements to happen and our voice heard stronger than it is and you can't be relying on data collection all the time when we were left out because of inclusivity and accessibility
0: issues thank you thank you for your comment are there any other public general public comment at this time
1: yes luke you've been permitted to
20: unmute thank you thank you thank you so much um i just wanted to, to chime uh, back in i meant to mention in my previous public comment that um and i put this in the chat as well um i would be happy to connect with any members of the public and the council um, regarding jfk golden gate park and really anything else that you feel i and kids safe sf can be helpful with for the, for the disabled community, um, including just standing in solidarity with you and helping advocate for anything uh, that you think could be improved. Um, so I put my contact information in the chat, but I'll repeat it here for anyone um, who's listening. Uh, my email is Luke, L-U-K-E at kidssafe, dot com. My phone number is 617 899 Eight, seven. and I welcome anyone to reach out to me. I'm happy to connect with anyone um, and especially happy to talk about how um, accessibility can be improved in the park um, and elsewhere around the city and how uh, I and, and Kids Safe can, can help with that. So um, please don't hesitate to reach out. And Thank you again for all your work.
0: I thank you for that offer and we will get in touch with you. Thanks. I um, there any
9: then, uh, pop to at this time. I just wanted to elevate through the chat that Jennifer Walsh uh, put in the chat the, uh, another announcement regarding the October 26th uh, forum that was uh, mentioned in my report. Again, uh, Jennifer Walsh says October 26th from 1 to 3 p.m. called the California State Master Plan on Aging, Ending Homelessness Among Seniors and People with Disabilities, Community Living Campaign. Uh, and then she's listed the Community Living Campaign website that I listed earlier, or also the Dignity Fund, which is HTTPS backslash backslash fund one word, uh, .org for more information. Thank you, Nicole.
0: Um, Are there any general public comments at this time?
1: There are no other public comments at this time.
0: Thank you. Now we are going to number item number nine, sorry, number 10 information item. Can you please um, amend, can you please read any correspondence received by MOD in the past month? Yes. So we received
1: an email from Victoria Bruckner THE SUBJECT LINE SAYS PUBLIC OPINION IN SF REMAINS TWO TO ONE IN FAVOR OF OPENING JFK DRIVE TO CARS. DEAR MAYOR BREED, MEMBERS OF THE SAN FRANCISCO BOARD OF SUPERVISORS AND SAN FRANCISCO CITY AND COUNTY DEPARTMENT AND COMMISSION LEADERS. I'M WRITING TO ALERT ALL OF YOU TO THE FACT THAT AN an ONLINE POLL CONDUCTED BY THE SAN FRANCISCO CHRONICLE CONTINUES TO SHOW that respondents are voting by a margin of two to one in favor of opening John F. Kennedy Drive to car traffic. This margin appears to have been consistent during the entire time that the poll has been running. It shows that keeping JFK Drive closed remains deeply unpopular with the general public in San Francisco and and the Bay Area. Please treat this data item with the utmost seriousness during the time that you will be considering and voting on the future of JFK Drive and Golden Gate Park. Sincerely, Victoria Bruckner. And that is the only piece of correspondence we received.
9: Also, through the chair, if I might just remind folks that we did receive that um, advocacy letter from CADA. And so um, if if uh, you don't have it or you need us to send that again, that is formal correspondence that we're sending to you, the Mayor's Disability Council uh, from CADA around the, uh, the uh, expressed need for the continuation of virtual public meetings. So uh, please uh, take a moment to review that. If you do not have it, uh, John Costi from our office can help uh, uh, get that uh, back to you, please. Thank you. Thank you. So for that, we are
0: going to move along to next item, item number eleven. Um, are there any cousin members' comments or announcements at this time? Go ahead, Good. Okay.
13: Yes.
14: Um, This October today is October fifteenth, and this is World White Cane Safety and Awareness Day. And I just wanted us to uh, encourage people to recognize canes, uh, which are often used by folks with vision loss. And um, that's all I wanted to say.
0: Thank you. I think that's good information. I think any um, council members have common announcement at this time. Tiffany, go ahead.
13: Hi, this is Tiffany. I just wanted to let the public know that um, I am hosting an event on October 20th, a virtual event um, on disability and careers in tech. And it is going to happen from four o'clock to 5.30 Pacific time. And it will have ASL interpretation. And we will use Zoom's captioning feature. And you can RSVP at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash disability in tech, all lowercase.
0: Can, can you also put that in the chat?
13: Yes, and also Thank it is free to attend.
0: Thank you. Are there any other council members has have an announcement or comment at this time? I have a comment or announcement to make. I, 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 I totally forgot this time. Arquid Sasuni is now a uh, co-chair for this uh, Marathon Disability Council. So I just want to congratulate Okid for being a um, co-chair. I bet you if you want to say something thank you so okay. much
1: Alex uh, I'll just say uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to
12: be your co-chair for the MDC and uh, I will continue throughout this year and into next year 2022 hopefully and uh, uh, hope we hope that as things will calm down uh, all will
14: go
10: well we can all work well together Thank you everyone have a great day
0: thank you I'm good hi good. I apologize for forgetting that energy in the beginning. Not um, a problem at all, Alex. <laughs> I saw it's different, it's different in the other comment, and, and uh, thank you. Um, if I if there is no um things that um announcement from the council. I just want to say thank you very much. Amal um, for helping me and um, I want the staff, the call, Jan and um, David for your support and SFGov TV and of course my fellow council members. Um, and of course, um, the visitors and um, pub, public participation. With that, I, I want to say, have a raise up the day and have a good, good weekend if
9: there is no post. I would adjourn on this meeting. I just wanted to announce that the next meeting is Friday, November nineteenth. That meeting will also be a virtual meeting. The agenda items are set as shared spaces enforcement follow up and also the housing needs assessment uh, data. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Um. So, without any applause. And Orchid uh, saying, and thank you to the interpreters. <laughs> uh, thank you for the interpreters. Um, without any applause, I would adjourn this meeting. Okay, I, I adjourn. Thank you, Alex. Good, good you. afternoon, everyone.
9: Have a good Thank you,
0: Nicole. Thank you.